Welcome to Runners Radio. Proudly sponsored by the Runners app. Your running coach anytime, anywhere. Today, our special guest is a man who described himself as the fat kid at school. Jared Pulser lost over 30 kilos on his way to completing two Ironman triathlon. This is a really great listen and it's really, really inspiring. Pulsey went from doing not much at all, loving his sport but barely getting off the couch, to taking up a few spin classes, trying to look after himself, started jogging slowly. All of a sudden, he's competing and he's doing probably the hardest event on earth in the Ironman triathlon. Before we get into Pulse and talk a bit about the week in sport, I welcome my old friend. He's been on Media Street all month, Mick Sharkey. Hello, Rick. Good to be here. I know how Jared did it as well. I know his secret weapon. What? Subway. Subway, remember that? Wasn't that the remember that was the big thing? The big lose loser. weight with uh, Subway. Well, he was Jar- that was a Jared as well, wasn't it? Oh, mate, I don't know. A really that, goofy looking bike. Wasn't that a it's a marketing marketing genius there? Just why don't you eat this 100 grams of carbohydrate in one meal, a foot long of Subway? Why don't you just consume this to drop 40 kilos? Yeah, well, I know it tastes like rubbish. That's why you know if you are only allowed to eat it, I'd lose weight too. I reckon. I wouldn't eat either. Just tell it to our Subway friends out there. Now, we'll we'll talk about Pulse in a minute because that, that story sounds like a good story. You won't be able to put the radio down after that. But overnight, we've had the Chicago Marathon. Um, oh, Sharky. Now I know 11 p.m. Australian Eastern Time. Now Sharky. Got in a bit late today. Not just the fact it was daylight savings, we were on the clocks forward an hour, but also he was up all night watching the Windy City Marathon in pretty wet conditions overnight in Chicago. Mo Farah took it from the track to the road. The four-time Olympic gold medalist went 205-11 to break the European record. He's records a- falling all over the place this year. It seems. it seems like records are falling all over the joint yeah, it's, in, the, in the marathon world. Well, it's often what happens when well, they say that, the, that mental plateau, similar to 1954 when Bannister went sub four for the first time. And the, look, it obviously, it, with Kipchoge doing what he's doing, the whole marathoning world has, has kind of said, okay, well, I need to be better. So mm. when you've got a bloke like Elliot Kipchoge doing what he's doing. Choke. Yeah, your mate Choke. He, you got people like Farah stepping up from the track. You got uh, Kanisa Bakili saying, "Well, I'm still here as well." And then you got a lot of uh, Wilson Kipp saying, "You got all these young fellas coming through the ranks." So you're right. That 18 year old we spoke about last week as well, obviously um, in the 10k. Now the Japanese record went to Suguru Osako. Now he I that for dinner. Speaking night. about records, now 205.50. Guess what he pocketed for his effort? Uh... Not sure. What, cash-wise? Do you get cash for winning these? No. Well, you get cash for winning, but... I need to start training. The Japanese record, because yeah. he broke at Osaka, 880k. From who? American. From the Japanese Sporting Association. Unbelievable. What? Mm. Just for... Look, he's run a super time. He came third overall in Chicago. So he gets nearly a million bucks from just for breaking his own country's record. 
Yep, that's a good rule. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good effort. Well, what do you get for winning the actual thing? I'm not what sure. Did Mo uh, you'd have to Google that. I'm not sure what Mo pocketed, but the women's race was won by a ball singlet. Bridget Koskai. Now Bridget won by nearly three minutes. So Signed she, by Dennis Rodman. Bridget must have been running on her own for the whole bloody race, Mick. Because she's, Bridget Koskai. Yeah, yeah, I know you love the Western names on the African runners. Now Bridget Koskai, two eighteen thirty five. She's legit run on her own because she's won by two minutes and forty five wow. seconds. That's pretty good. That's a time trial, very similar to Kipchoge, the um, the other week now in Berlin. But Mo, it won't be long before we start seeing Tracy Kipchoge and these sort of names. Okay. Shazza Bakili. Shazza Bakili. Um, that's a name. It actually sounds like it could be an African name. Shazza. Here comes Shazza Bakili. Remember though. If they don't live like the East Africans, if they don't go and live in a hut and wash their own clothes and do that kind of stuff, live like paupers to succeed. Like our Kiwi friends. Yes, the Robinson twins. That's good from you. Very good memory. You and I live like paupers. We've got, that means we're succeeding. <laughs> uh, we're battling away. We've got, very, we've got no notes. So, ladies and gentlemen, he's remembered the Robinson twins off the top of his head. Bridget did a great race. Three minutes, again, a time trial of the marathon in Chicago. I recommend most... Listeners, try to get one overseas marathon in every couple of years. Chicago's an absolute cracker. Bit closer to home, and Jack Rayner won the Commonwealth Half Marathon in 61 minutes and one second. Now, speaking of national records, our Australian record of 208 low hasn't fallen since 1983 from the great Rob DeCostello. Lift your game, Aussies. 35 years, Rob DeCostello. No Lift. one's got close. Steve Monaghetti, of course, got close. Lee Troop got close. A couple of these guys broke 210 and 209 for Monas, but no one's got near Deeks. Could Jack Rayner be the man? I encourage social network. We might start a thing. Who's going to be the next Aussie? Who's going to be the closest Aussie to get near Deeks? Or who, who will break the Aussie record? And is he currently running? People thought Mick Shelley... I'm not so sure Shelley's got the pace to break 208, 208 low. But Jack Rayner, 61 minute half, indicates he probably has got the talent and the brilliance to break the 208 low. Got to go another 20 k's though. 21, but he's oh, got yeah, 21. He's, he's got the pace there. There's always that last two k's in the marathon that just doesn't make sense to me. Listen, a shot. Why not round it up or round it down? Speaking of brilliance of Jack Rayner, from one thoroughbred to another, we go to the superstar on four legs this time. That is the magical mare, Winks. Tell me about Winks, Mick. Well, she's won a lot of races in a row, Rick. That's pretty much her claim to fame at the moment. She's arguably the best horse in the world at the moment. She will... Attempt her fourth Cox Plate very soon. She won the Turnbull Stakes on the weekend. The interesting thing with Winks is Saturday's race in the Turnbull, when she was in a lot of trouble, pilot error, they suggest, maybe brought about that. Hugh Bowman, her usual jockey, just got her into an awkward position. She still managed to get herself out of it and win. That's one thing to do that at Flemington when you've got the world's longest straight. Uh, the last 450 metres or 472, whatever it is. But Mooney Valley, tight track, if she draws in, oh, I think she's she's gettable in the Cox Plate. Now, our podcast is obviously very new and endurance sport focused. We'll touch on some of the main sports in Australia. Well, she's a pretty good endurance story. She's a great endurance story. I love the physiology of Winx, but I just want to give some of the listeners that might not be um, as cross-horse racing as, as us, mate, Winx is a superstar. She better win her fourth Cox Plate, which is the greatest weight for H age race in Australasia. 
Kingston Town won three in the early 80s, not beginning of 1980. This horse has won 27, 28 races in a row. She's a phenomenon and she has the whole country talking. Mick Sharkey, at this time of year especially, is everywhere. TV, radio, track, Twitter, podcast in all kinds of realms. He has been a rather large, not critic, but prefers to play the devil's advocate on Winks a little bit. Much to, unfortunately, his detriment over this time of year. Now, tell me, you've been copping it left, I've right and I've become the whipping boy of the racing industry because dare anybody have a thought that's different to the general consensus when it comes to a great horse. But I don't want to be sycophantic about her. She's a great horse, no doubt. She's not the best I've seen. Everyone's saying, oh, she's the greatest of all time. It wasn't too long ago we had Black Caviar go unbeaten throughout her career over five seasons, which is ridiculous. Actually, it was three, two, three, four, five. No, it's mm. four. Uh, Maccabi Diva, who has to be in the conversation, three Melbourne Cups. Now, Melbourne Cups a handicap race. So every year she got more and more weight, carried top weight, still beat the best horses in the world at two mile. Phenomenal. Winks runs at weight for age just about every start which means she gets a two kilo weight allowance on every male in the race. And she ran, runs against the same horses basically every time because she's playing in a very select field of, say, 1,600 to 2,000 metres. So you're running against a very similar group of horses. She's a great horse, no doubt. But if I wanted to have a horse to win 28 straight, I would pick the Australian weight for age 1,600 to 2,000 metre category because there's not a lot of depth there. Yep, and look, I'm not here nor there. I'm certainly no expert. I'm very passionate about the racing game, but the man on my right is the expert, so I'll be. I'll defer to him. It's he, a great. It's a great achievement to have a mare who's seven years old, because in racing, most mares are retired and breeding by five. You really only get two good seasons out of them before the hormones kick into play and they want to go and be a mum. For her to have raced from two, three, four, five, six, and now seven. Uh, years during that, you know, those seasons and maintain an elite performance record when you talk about athletic performance. And, you know, she's an equine athlete, but, uh, you know, we could still talk about her in that context. It is remarkable. It's it's remarkable that they've been able to hold her together at that level for so long because 99% mm. of mares, fillies or mares, would have turned it up by now. It's pretty amazing um, what she's done, but, oh, look, I'm not... I, I think Maccabi, to do what she did, was amazingly special to continue to, to go back to the well for the two-mile handicap every year. Black Caviar, you think of other great mares like Sunline, uh, even like Miss Finland, lesser exact. Look, there's been so many mares. We've had so many great Australian mares over the last 15, 20 years. Shark does a lot of travelling around Europe for his horse racing as well, and you've obviously seen Frankel. He's, he's the best officer. He's the best you've seen. And, and I obviously didn't see Frankel too much in the flesh. But it's an interesting one. And this time of year, for the next six to eight weeks, Melbourne, but Australia in general, are just consumed by the thoroughbred racing. So she will will give the listeners an update from overseas how she goes in the Cox Plate. But you can tune in. It is the greatest wait for age race in Australasia. We did have the AFL Grand Final a couple of or now a week and a half ago, Shark. The Weagles. Give us your thoughts on West Coast. Uh, I thought they were amazing. I thought they dominated probably two and a half quarters of the game. Collingwood were fantastic. They began so well. I think probably playing on emotion from the week before against Richmond. And then as West Coast started to come, 
Collingwood, the, the fluency wasn't there in their game. They kept going forward and they kept attacking, but they were relying more on luck to mm. get goals, whereas West Coast had a much better structure. They missed a lot of shots on goal, but they had a lot of better structure to my eye going forward. You could argue West Coast should have won by six goals. Probably. In, in the end, they won by five points. And, and what a transition that last play. To my, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like Dom, to Dom Sheed's... The way they cleared it from the back line with McGovern um, taking that McGovern, grab. McGovern's phenomenal. He's just a he's just a. I just want to have twenty beers of uh, McGovern. I love him the way he plays his footy. Just not nonchalant about everything. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't blink if you walked past him. He's just a, like a normal worst country. haircut in football. He's a beautiful man, normal country boy. What a legend! That one of the great marks of all time. Kicks it out. I think it was um, the young fella, the young fella that took the mark, and then he. Uh, Liam Ryan He turned around Dom Sheed's kick If I've seen I don't think I've seen A better kick than that In front of 100,000 people Clutch Listeners he, From outside of Aussie Had it on the 45 metres with a 40, with Literally on the boundary line So he's literally In the stands pretty much And he needed this kick It was a minute 50 left On the siren uh, To the siren went West Coast down by A couple of points He needed this and he just clutched, just went back, took a deep breath and just slotted it. One of the great sporting moments, I believe, in Australian history now because they, they won a premiership due to that kick. Yeah. There's nothing sure. He misses that. Collingwood settle and they had the footy and they played tempo footy. So Dom Sheed needed that or the whole Western Australia needed it. And I tell you what, he had the whole state on his back. Yeah, they did. The travel yeah. factor for West Coast, I think Australians, we get a bit precious. Like West Coast have now, they've only been in the competition for... Um, 30, 31 years They've won four flags And they've been in A couple other grand finals And a couple other prelims So They're going At a ridiculous average They're always in the top Three or four They've obviously had a couple Of leaner years as well With Natural um, Ebb and flow But I tell you what These guys travel Minimum four hours Every second week And we get a bit precious About uh, Some Victorian teams About travelling Every six to eight weeks When you look at the American teams That travel every single week Mm. Five times a week sometimes What's your your thoughts on that? They had had taken 33 flights This year West Coast And it's And and that's not That's pre-season as well But all sorts of competition All sorts of travelling And every second week As you said They're on a plane for four hours there Four hours back It's got to affect your recovery It does Let alone your preparation it does, only because it's such a big difference between what happens from the Western Australian sides to us on the East Coast, where we really don't have to do it as much. And absolutely, there's a reason why not many Western Australians have played 300 AFL games, Mick, and obviously it's commonplace for at least to have a few clubs with a fair few 300 gamers, but I think Pavlich from Fremantle, I'm not even sure a West Coast Eagles played 300, and it does. I think it's the accumulative fatigue and it, it absolutely it builds up on you after a while. More death by a thousand cuts, I think. Recovery week to week, I think they've got it really good. The fitness staff and the rehab staff are really good at both clubs because they clearly doesn't affect West Coast, especially week to week. But I feel like the accumulative fatigue of literally being on a plane four hours one way, four hours the other, recovering, going to war for two and a half hours, do it again and again and again. There's got to be a reason why West Coast have got no 300 gamers. But for grand finals, as far as they go, surely one of the best you've seen. I can't remember a better one. Maybe oh, not. 1989 was my favourite ever. I've worn that VHS tape out, Mick. Geelong Hawthorne. I still think the Sydney West Coast. 05, 06. That was Who won? pretty good. Which one? 
Sydney one oh, when Leo Barry took yeah. that mark. Oh five. That was great. I feel like I feel like the, the weekend on was better just for the attacking nature of it. I feel oh like, yeah, it was mental. I feel like oh five was a bit more um like defensive and chess like Paul Roos. Yeah, I don't mind a game like I don't mind a game like that when it gets to that absolute pinnacle of the game. Somebody's gotta stand up and your defensive strategy kinda of goes out the window a bit and then all of a sudden somebody just comes out of nowhere and, and has that moment. Agree, but uh, Barry's, I love that. Love those sort of games. Barry's mark is famous, and we're still talking about it 13 years later. Just it's a bit of self-indulgence. That Geelong Hawthorne game, uh, Hawthorne beat Geelong, but 126, 120, and just blokes bashing blokes left, right, and centre. Yeah. So it was an absolute goal fest. Ablett at one end, kick a nine. Dermy vomiting down the forward pocket because his ribs and lungs Beautiful. were broken. Dipper punctured lung. Yeah. It was all happening in '89. And if you if you haven't seen that game, I recommend go to YouTube because '1989 Grand Final for mine, one of the greatest ever. We've got the Melbourne Marathon coming up, Shark. Just changing tact. That's in six days. You doing that? I'm not doing it this year, mate. We've got about 50 athletes doing the the half marathon and the marathon. Yeah. And we've got another 40 doing the 10. So I'll be down there. We'll give you an update next week. Now. So we got 100 people doing things there. Yeah, you nearly, we've got 90, yeah. Nearly, wow. Yeah, it's pretty big. That's but huge. What a great huge. effort. But a lot of them are doing the marathon on the half this year, which is fantastic. Yeah. A lot of guys going for PBs. So yeah. we might maybe one of our future interviewees might be among the athletes this what week. What a good idea. Speaking of interviewees. Can't wait till I do a marathon. Then I'll just have a PB and I can just retire on that. You, Because you, your first one would be your PB. It's your personal best. Because you would never do it again. Never. Can you imagine Mick Sharkey? Now, just someone get a photo of him. I might, put, I might post a photo to the show notes. He's, like, he's a very good runner. That's the thing. He's actually a really good athlete, which annoys me because I'd love to get him doing a fast 10 or a, or a half marathon. I reckon I've got more chance of riding Winks in the Cox Plate. And that is absolutely no chance at all. Listeners, you're going to love this. Jared Pulser, he's dropped over 30 kilos from a very, very sedentary student education, physical education teacher in Melbourne. Jared Pulsar is one of the better blokes you'd ever meet and I believe he's got a story that's going to resonate with all of you out there. Let's move on. Today, we're having a beer with a two-time Ironman, two-time marathoner, a physical educator here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and just an all-round great bloke. Welcome, Jared Pulser. Thanks for having me, Rick. Cheers, mate. Very, Cheers. Um, yeah. Great to have you here on a Saturday Arvo in August. Now, <laughs> Pulsey has got one of the more, I feel, unique stories to tell. And, and I, I feel like Pulsey, um, as I've got to know him again over the last five or six years, has, has motivated me, but also a lot of people around him just by doing. Um, he certainly has got a lot to talk about as well. But just by doing and, and continuing to to front up and get get stuff done. He's an amazing person. I'll let him talk about all that, though. Currently, mate, before we delve too deep, where are you situated as we speak, work-wise, sport-wise? Work-wise, I, uh, this is my ninth year teaching at, uh, at Kuru Secondary College. So I graduated from university uh, eight years ago, I think roughly 2004. No, that would have been... 2008 so this would be my ninth 2009 so ninth year at, at the school um, teaching um, uh, maths at the moment which is an interesting combination 
uh, people find when I say I teach PE and maths. Uh, teach some VCAL classes along the way and I also teach a TAFE course as well, sport and recreation. It's a pretty eclectic mix, mate. Um, the maths and the physical education to me, knowing you doesn't doesn't surprise because it is <laughs> there are two of your passions with with data and statistics, which we'll talk about a bit later. But Absolutely. the VCAL stuff's really cool. Yeah. Now, for those outside Melbourne and, and can you talk about VCAL quickly? Uh, VCAL is uh, an alternative pathway to your mainstream VCE or what you guys might know as your HSC or um, any... Um, your VCE is the one to get you to uni. You get your ATAR score at the end of it. Your VCE, your VCAL is the completely different pathway. So VCAL is set up um, and runs at most schools at 11, year 11 and year 12. And what happens is that uh, one day a week they are out in the workforce. Uh, another day a week they're attending a TAFE course. And then three days they're at school. They only do four subjects per year. Uh, maths, English... They do some personal development skills and they also learn a little bit about uh, business craft, leadership and personal development as well. So it's pretty cool. Um, a bit more freedom to do some uh, hands-on things with the kids and the kids opt into this. It's not something that's forced on and they have to really manage their time between the three places that they uh, interact with on a weekly basis being their work, TAFE and school which is real life isn't it um managing logistics and it's a very good it's only been the last decade or possibly touch over that it's come to prominence here and certainly keeps people in school longer which at the end of the day is what we we all want and the kids that have come in um Pulsey's brought a couple of his kids into hq they're just they're just great kids and they just they're very they got the guidance from Pulsey and a few of his um contemporaries and and they've got the life skills that possibly they wouldn't have if they went straight as a 15-year-old to the old traditional apprenticeship type. Yeah, and we, we tell our kids these days that the days of getting an apprenticeship as a 15, 16, 17-year-old are, are dwindling because uh, bosses don't have the time and or resources to pick you up from your house or no. these kind of things too. So we say the main goal for you guys in VCAL is to get qualified in, in a passion that you in, that you really like to be involved in and then build you up with skills at school and at work so that you're ready to start your apprenticeship when you exit our college. And hopefully it's hard. Or any school. Absolutely, yeah. mate. And the passion is the key because... And that goes for VCE as well. It's not. It's no different. Like, that's the whole idea. That's the way I see education is trying to find a... Try and, keep, try and make these kids find a passion and something that they can take to the outside world and have something to do and find something that they're at peace with. And that... Is, is probably the most important thing like, as an educator and a leader because um, it was so different for so many years. Yeah, so absolutely. So having young, energetic and just really, I guess, holistic-looking, forward, forward-looking teachers like yourself, it's unbelievable. Very lucky kids down there and I've met a few of them and they're, they're rippers. Now, before all this, now we spoke quickly about your triathlons and that kind of stuff in the intro. Take me back to the childhood, Pulsey. Where were you with sport? Childhood, um, I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula. Mum and Dad uh, were both uh, Franksonites uh, as, as, as families. Um, and then uh, grew up at a very... Oh, before I can even remember, I think I was living in Frankston. Mum and Dad then brought a house and uh, moved to Somerville. I was very young when that happened. Um, my mum and dad 
uh, work their guts out for me and my three sisters. Um, they were able to provide um, a lot of everything that we really wanted. Um, money wasn't in abundance at times, but um, mum, my, both mum and dad just, oh, dad in particular, slugged his guts out every day just so that we could uh, have food on the table and a roof over our heads, which is something, as you know, as you look back on an adult now and you think, yeah, that, that it makes an ultimate sacrifice as well. Um, love sport as a kid, um, heavily involved in a lot of different sports growing up, footy, or not really, f cricket, basketball to start with through primary school. Um, Dad was an active member at PSL Cricket Club, so I was always tagging along with him, uh, going to training and watching him play and then uh, followed that journey through and played, on, played a lot of junior cricket there. Played a lot of basketball throughout primary school and didn't really give footy a go until I was about the age of 13. So I met, I met you about 16, 17, mate, when you were playing footy. We played at the same club yeah. in Somerville there. Now, for those listeners outside of Melbourne, it, it, look, it's a working class. It's a working class area. We're close to the beach, but it certainly wasn't wasn't effluent area at all. Oh, no, no, no. Now, in those kind of small town type areas that footy and cricket are, are the mainstream and... Certainly, if you played sport, you had a lot of mates. Now, you had a lot of very good mates growing up. You had a group of seven or eight of you that were, uh, you're still mates to this day, very good mates, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting story. Um, I was lucky enough to go through primary school with a bunch of boys that I'm still really close with, friends with today. So, we all started in prep together. Um, so, that was 25, 26 years ago. Now, we've all stayed in contact, which is kind of a... Uh, a unique thing because I talk to a lot of other people and ask them if they're still friends with their primary school mates and a lot of people say no. So I feel really blessed and in a uh, positive position to still be able to friends, be friends with these boys. Um, so yeah, we've known each other for like 25 years, which is pretty unique being only 30, 31 years old. And we didn't all go to the same high school and some of us have gone off and done different things. A lot of us remain here on the Mornington Peninsula, but we've got one of the boys lives in New Zealand and these kind of things. And, and it's just, just a really cool kind of thing where we all support each other and we've just transitioned through life together and we've gone through like that 18 to 22 age where you're pissing all your money up against the wall at the pub and now three, four, five of them have kids and they're starting their own families. And it's just, it's really nice to be involved with these communities of boys and seeing their families and see what they can achieve as well, which is pretty unique perspective, uh, pretty unique experience to have. It is unique. Eight five-year-olds still being mates, yeah, yeah. At, at this stage of your life when you're starting to buy houses and and have families, which, which is the special time in your life. Now, you're, a, I knew you as a real go-getter, active, energetic fellow, just a lovely, always always smiling, always happy. But tell me about your primary school days now. You've told me over the journey about being this stereotypical fat kid. I, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't have pictured you as that because I, I guess I always looked deeper, and the energy you produced was was unbelievable. And you, you, you're always so happy and and willing to bring other people into into your circle. But do you feel inwardly like you you were obviously overweight? And you oh, looking back, like looking back at as a primary school kid, you don't. Oh. I feel like because you, you, don't, you don't so know, much sport. and you play sport, and you can. And I've um, had this discussion with a few people before. Like, you play team sports, particularly cricket, which was probably my number one sport back in the day. Is that fitness probably didn't come into it a great deal? Mm. 
and it's a sport where you can get away with being unfit. Like times are changing now, and you see that a lot of the cricketers now are spending a lot more time in the gym and skin folds and, and these kind of things, nutrition. But as a kid playing team sports, uh, particularly cricket and basketball, um, I got away with it a lot. Mm-hmm. And even when I transitioned into footy, I got away with it as well. I was just able to, because I love sports so much, I think I was able to use what I got. I used what I had well enough to get by. Yeah. Uh, and then not not be found out because of my weight. And I still I knew it held me back at, at, at the times, but I always thought, oh, I'm just gonna you could get have by. a have a crack and yeah. get try and get by and and just try and do my part rather than um, not doing anything at all. There's a reason I'm I'm taking you down this path because I think it's the biggest probably the biggest nugget of wisdom for listeners to take out of this no matter what your childhood or physique or, or what your journey is like now because you can imagine what we're about to go through over the next six years in this story here so so Pulsey's playing local footy he's got an absolute passion for so many sports AFL, cricket, basketball to name a few he's playing local footy getting by he finishes high school plays a bit more footy goes off to uni take me through the uni journey please because this is where the penny drops um, so Fortunately, unfortunately for me, I wanted to go through it. Oh, I always wanted to do something with sports. Um, I had my heart set on sports management, but kind of got talked out of that through like the early 2000s, saying there wasn't a lot of job opportunities to come out the other side. So the main idea I thought of me going to university would be to become employable. So sports management, highly competitive field, probably... If looking back at it now, if I'd probably to enter these days, it probably would be some work out there now. I think it's gone, it's exploded that kind of scene. There's a lot, a lot more people working in that kind of industry. But I kind of got swayed away from that, which is in hindsight was probably thought was a, is a good decision. I then thought uh, journalism, sports journalism, would be a good, a good, uh, good uh, employment choice. But once again, very competitive field. Not a lot of people can get viable jobs out of it. And then. Throughout year 11 and year 12, I realised English was probably my worst subject, so it probably wouldn't have been my smartest choice uh, to go down that path. Uh, and then I landed on education, and then, okay, beauty, that's what I want to do. Um, being from the Mornington Peninsula, uh, Monash Peninsula is always the number one choice to go to, but unfortunately, I missed out on the score by about two ATAR points, which is stuff all in the scheme of things. And then had to go. The next, the next preference in that order was um, Ballarat. So, as an 18-year-old kid, having to move to Ballarat full time, no license, not knowing many people up there, uh, moving out of home for the first time, living in a share house. It it really was a, um, it really was a experience that has probably shaped me into the person that I am today, and. Um, I look back at it now and I'm very thankful for that experience because I think without it, I would be a very different person still if I was did go to uni at Peninsula and Frankston there. Yeah, I've got, I just got a few little goosebumps there because of the, the felk on the road moment that um, knowing what you've achieved since then mm. and knowing what may have been. Like your habits weren't great back then. No, absolutely not. So Ballarat, for the listeners, is only two hours from where Pulsey grew up. So it's not far, but it's far enough that you've got to move up there. Um, I always used to come home on the, every weekend. It's a sporting and those kind of things. I do remember Pulsey around the footy club a lot at that era, coming home every Saturday. 
Were you playing footy at that stage? I can't remember. Um, I think I was still trying to, yeah. but I think I. I might have been squeezed out because I wasn't training and then these kind the of things. The lifestyle might have caught up with you. A bit yeah, well. a little bit as well, yeah, probably. Um, the, the Ballarat. Started putting on, uh, being a uni student too, you, uh, you don't really put place great emphasis on your nutrition. You'd rather spend that money on uh, going out on a Wednesday night and or... So you're looking at cheap eats, so you're eating a lot of any pasta. Night, any night, really. Rice. You're looking... You can skip and save where you can to save as much money. So you need that money. the diet wasn't the diet wasn't great. I probably wasn't doing a lot of physical activity, even though I thought I was probably doing a physical education course. But looking back at what I was doing then, um, there, there's a reason why I probably ballooned out to my heaviest throughout that uni uni it's degree. Very, it's very hard to imagine where we're about to take you because so you've got an 18, 19 year old fella. It's a pretty normal situation. He goes to uni, puts on a few kilos. But Pulsey being a bigger fella as it yeah. when, you, when you arrived, no matter his intelligence, no matter his sporting prowess, no matter his sporting IQ, if you could call it that, he ballooned out to Pulsey. Now, we don't like to use scales at runners and we never use them in no, HQ. No, I never have I. But good, that's why you're a smart man. But just for the sake of this interview, I think it's nice that we get a rough idea of just how much you, you put on and then lost. So, because there's going to be listeners out here that yeah. possibly use them every day, which is a story for another day. Yeah. But saying this, this bloke in front of me can help, I believe, millions of people. That's why we've got him in, on air today. What was your heaviest mate at uni? Oh, I don't really know. And it was probably... Estimate. The estimate. Um, I, knew, I knew I was quite big when I used to go into shops and they didn't have anything that really fitted me off the shelf. Just I knew I was the, in trouble. He's obviously an audio, uh, tall, height, six oh, foot flat, 5'10". Not, five not ten. even, yeah, 172 centimetres. I'd probably, at, a, at an estimate, I'd probably... Five, yeah, uh, 135, 140 kilos, I probably, I reckon I was, I got to. Mm. Hard to say, really. I never really wanted to jump and on the scales at that weight. We certainly don't want to advocate scales by any means. No. But, that, but that we need it for this. Okay, so that's it. See, 2011, 2012, this is happening. You're ballooning out. You're saying, where am I going? Yeah. You have a pretty frank conversation with a housemate. Can you take me through that, please? Um, so when I finished, graduated from uni, I come back to live at home um, just to get my bearings and figure out what I wanted to do in terms of work. Um, I was lucky enough to gain employment, like I've already said, at Kuirup, which was only a 30-minute drive from home. Um, coming into some money for the first time in your life, you think, oh, this is great, I can move out, I've got a bit more freedom. And having been away for four years, I really struggled at home to fit back into the context of home life with mum, dad and my three crazy sisters. Um, it wasn't, Beautiful sisters, yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah, so I struggled to fit back into the norms there, having been away for so long. Um, so I decided it would be, uh, there was an opportunity to move in with um, a couple of my good mates from high school and live in Hastings. Um, a good mate, uh, Miles Cordo, and another good mate, Luke Conway, um, who virtually just sat me down one night out of the blue and, and just kind of just really probably turned my whole world upside down and just kind of probably picked up on a few things that picked up on a few things that m most people probably wouldn't read. I guess living in a house under the same roof as one another, you get to see some habits and some um, behaviours that probably not a lot of other people see and he just virtually sat me down and had a conversation with me and said like do you want to do something about like I love you as a person but to me you always seem a little bit unhappy is it because of your weight and these kind of things and it was a 
quite a frank conversation. Um, and I've, I've, I've always thanked him for the conversation, but it wouldn't have been an easy thing to do. Um, and we kind of, it kind of just ballooned or blossomed from, from there. And he just said, oh, why don't you do something about it? Well, start coming to the gym with me. And he goes, he went to the gym frequently and these kind of things. And that kind of was the catalyst for everything happening from then on, then on after really. It was a couple of other trigger points along the way earlier in the, earlier in the piece. Um, I remember after I graduated uni, I had a conversation with two of my mates from uni one New Year's Eve and I said, yeah, I think I really want to do something about it. And then I was asking them questions about it all and I said, yeah, I think that's a really good move for you. Um, and, but the big thing too, I was really struggling as a PE teacher in my early days to push and promote um, the benefits of physical activity and nutrition and healthy eating to, to my students when I clearly wasn't doing it myself, which is makes me a walking contradiction. Yeah. So that made me feel really, really uncomfortable to be employed as a physical educator and then trying to say, this is what you should do when clearly I wasn't doing it myself. No, and it would have been hard, especially the young bloke. You haven't, you haven't made your identity yet really no. in, the, in the game, so that would have been hard. But that chat with Flukey Conway um, and Miles, now, little things you've said to me along the journey, like you didn't want to be like you, this potentially unhappy person forever, even though subliminally it might have been unhappy. Yeah, so I think I always kind of just like, I knew I always was big and I kind of thought, yeah, that's probably me. Like I, I thought I didn't really have a lot of choice in it. Like I just, yeah. uh, I, you think like do the right thing, do the right thing. And I, I like, there would have been previous incarnations of me trying to do the right thing, but then just fall off as a 20, 18 to 22 year old male. It's, probably something that's not on high on your priority list and no. not educated enough on what's out there today. Um, so, yeah, looking back on it, I think being able to make a change and then that catalyst into what, what everything that I've done post that kind of chat, um, yeah, it, it's not an easy conversation to have with you, mate. No. But I'm very, I'm very thankful for it. Yeah, and it wouldn't have been easy to, to say or hear because you, you're a 22 year old fella. You got, you got, um, everyone's got insecurities at all stages of life. But at that young age, especially, and you got two of your best mates. Definitely now we appreciate everything yeah, that they would sure. have done. But so you start. Yeah, I so, think. Yeah, I, I just very. Um, always try to be that jovial as as a as an overweight person you always seem to be that jovial jovial lovable person that wants to go have fun have a good time that's like the stereotypical fat guy or the stereotypical fat fat person they're the lovable character in the room they're the big fella and you kind of try if you, you if you accept that you try and play up to that a little bit i yeah. think i feel and and i was trying to on the on the outside, like I was trying to portray that, but I think inside it was slowly eating away at me. And these boys saw it. I think so. Yeah, and that's that's. I think that will resonate with millions um, <laughs> that will download this because that there, in a nutshell, is no doubt. So many other people listen to this now. The difference between some people that hopefully will listen to this and change, and what you did, mate, and this is what we all respect you even more for, is you said no, no. I'm still going to be that lovable person, yeah. but I want to make something of my... I, I don't want to be miserable subliminally or inside or, no. or have these moments where I just really all feel like a walking contradiction or all these things that have been occurring over the journey. Or maybe I just want to put my best foot forward. Maybe I just want to have a crack. And 
what happens if I actually have a crack over the next two, three, four years? So you start training. Yeah, so um, start going. Oh, obviously, being involved in team sports, I knew a little bit about how like pre-season structure work and training, training methods and these kind of things, being a PE student as well. It's taught at uni, so I was lucky enough to have some form of an education about, about training and loads and principles and what what I, what I was trying to achieve. Not that I was qualified to do it, but I kind of understood what was happening. I've always kind of un- understood what was happening based on what I was doing outside of the gym or work or school or whatever, because I got it at, at school. Um, so I kind of just started going to the gym with Luke. He was on a weights program at the time and just started going there. And then... I realised weights probably wasn't a thing for me. I didn't really enjoy weights. I didn't think I was the person that should be doing weights at, at that point in time. So I thought my go was cardio. So I reckon I spent probably a solid eight months on a, on a cross trainer. Like I used to go do a cross trainer maybe every day and, and mix it up. And just I just used to sit on the cross trainer for like 45 <laughs> minutes and... Um, Back in those days, you could there was pre-program sessions that you could do, and I'd just go in and just try and crush myself on a on a cross trainer for forty five minutes to an hour, probably three or four times a week. Wow. Okay. Before I didn't know any of this. So before before these days of sport specific stuff, and before you started training for actual races or whatever, tell me the motivation on a cross trainer for a young palsy when he's doing these pre-programs, he might have some music in his ear or, or whatever. What's your emotional motivation? Is it purely weight loss? Is it to get your life back? Yeah, I think it was just, uh, I've started this and I, I want to see some results. Like okay. I, so and I think, I think with thing, me being a numbers person, I was able to go, oh, okay, this, I'm getting better at this. Like I could see, I can do the same program. Oh, I've gone 500 meters further than I did yesterday or last week. I've gone a K further. Which I think is quite. It's progression. Quite normal. Yeah, it's quite normal. I think anything like that, you kind of get hooked on it because mm. you see, you're seeing improvement, and I think I was starting like I, I don't know if I was starting to lose weight, but I, I, st- I just started to feel better about myself because I was moving and doing these things and feeling better about yourself. You tend to, to want to do more of what you're doing at the time. Listeners, very important footnote is that Pulsey never used these scales. Now we didn't really know each other super well back at this stage because we. Were, we played a bit together and then we lost contact. So never use scales. So very similar principle to ourselves here at Runners, but continued to feel better was more was a lot more clear in the head. Clearly, yeah, a much better educator, much better person. We would assume because you're just definitely much happier in yourself. This next year, this next calendar year, is one of the reasons me and Pulsey reconnected and I looked from afar. While I am um, just in awe, really, as a distance runner a coach and someone that's that's run lots of long distance stuff I looked at Pulsey and said this guy is unbelievable knowing I guess knowing the quote unquote old Pulsey tell me about the next calendar year in your life great man so precursor to 2013 I decided that as a bit of I really started to enjoy um, the cross train and then that progressed to running a little bit outside as well and I thought oh yeah just give it a go and it was nothing serious it was probably one run a week outside and I thought I'm gonna have a, give a fun run a go I thought this is what I've progressed to so it's 2012 I did the 2012 city city to sea um, with my sister yeah tw- uh, 14 case I thought oh, 
most people might have started with five or something like that. But I think I was doing that on the on the Sunday or, or on the on my Saturday run where I'd go out and just run and see how long I could run for. And um, I went and did that, and it was a really good experience. I thought, oh, this is. And I was meant to run with my sister, Marley, at the time, who was also doing a bit of running and. Um, I think we got about a k or so down the uh, down the road, and I was off like a rocket. I thought I was killing it and stuff like that. So, I think I look back at it now. I think I ran like just over seventy minutes for fourteen k's, which was pretty good. And I was quite happy with myself to do that. I thought this is an achievement that, and I've really got a massive buzz out of this. So I thought this could be the thing that I want to do forward. And at that probably stage. I probably had a bit of a, a falling out with footy and I, it wasn't something that I really enjoyed. And like during that 2012 year, I did a, a number of other things where I did some of those 60-day challenges and stuff like that where I lost even more weight and I was able to transition and got some ideas about nutrition a little bit better. But in hindsight, looking back at those, probably not the greatest things for your body because from that point in time, I've yo-yoed up and down a fair bit. But it was during that time, that 2012 year, where I went and did this 60-day challenge and I was trying to play footy, getting a love of running. I was falling out of favour at footy. I remember one day I sat on the bench all day in a game and that kind of just sucked the whole out of life and the fun out of football for me. I uh, said so that that was it from that point. I'm going to focus on doing my own kind of things and used, used some use that as kind of motivation to try and prove a few people wrong and, and those kind of things as well. So, and that transitioned into 2013 where I, over a couple of beers, New Year's Eve, I thought we we're talking about New Year's resolutions. And I said, I think I'm going to try and run 2013 Ks in 2013. Everyone kind of just scoffed at it at the time. And my good mate, Will Jolly or Chief said, oh, if you do that, I'll try and eat 2013 chicken wings in the year as well and in hindsight I didn't think really too much about it and then when I started to think about the numbers behind it all it worked out to be roughly 5.5 k's a day yeah it's big yeah it's, it's massive it's big for someone like it's big for anyone like you go on or 35 k's a week or whatever you yeah, wanted to break 35 k a week sounds okay for someone who's who's running consistently and has been for five or six years or even ten years to be honest and we spoke to chris mccarthy who won bronze at the com games and he's a very low mileage guy and he was running 30k a week winning bronze in a com games making the olympics last uh, podcast yes there's some big mileage guys out there but for a fellow who's been running for not even six months consistently to do this is unbelievable now he did it really intelligently he wasn't dumb about it this is only because he educated himself at the time yeah take us through 2013 and the way you accumulated these 2013 kilometers so may have got my years wrong a little bit here because i reckon i did a half marathon in 20 must have been 2012 at melbourne so i reckon i probably have done city to see in 20 2011, late 2011. So I reckon I've jumped I jumped ahead a year early. So Still very much of a novice. Though. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I've done 2011, um, 2012, I've done this 60-day challenge kind of thing, lost some more weight, got really, probably got to my lightest point, did a few of these challenges and then running kind of took over. Um, I got in contact with a guy through footy who came to our club that year called Paul Vosti, who was running a, a running group, a social running group called um, called uh, Icarus. Um, and got to know Paul and 
he was running and he kind of took me under his wing and kind of said, oh, I've got this running group here and then we'll, we'll go out and run together. And then um, he saw that I had a, he saw I, I was enjoying the running and I did a few little fun runs along the way throughout that year and I decided <laughs> that I would have a crack at a half marathon. It's coming back to me now, Rick. I decided to have a, run, a crack at a half marathon that year, 20, I reckon 2012. So October, I did a bit of a training program that had runs throughout the week listed and these kind of things and then did our weekly long run on a Sunday and that built up and I had a really positive experience at that half marathon. I can't remember the time that I did. I think I roughly did, I think an hour 40 or an hour 39, I think for a half marathon, which was pretty good. I was pretty happy with that. And then decided that from that point um, that I wanted to have a crack at um, and through Icar through Icarus and this running group, the next step was obviously to have a crack at a marathon. So 2013 was going to be the time that I was going to have a crack at that. So that mixed in with marathon. I thought this 2013 would be another motivating factor to get me to the marathon. And that's kind of how it all kind of happened. The fact you've ran this half marathon in that time is credit to yourself only a year or so earlier being, let's just say 140 kilos because that is a ridiculously fast time for any general population athlete, let alone someone who's who's probably dropped a quick 30, 35 kg, maybe more. So you've got ability, but the intelligence, and look, your, your knowledge definitely would have paid a part in that. Oh, yeah. From the university days, and you're educating the youth of today every day. So you're always reading, no doubt. But this story here, you can imagine it's not easy. So... It could not have been easy for you initially to start this this total journey because so many people get started, have speed humps, and stop. You you would have hit a few early days, but continued to to push on. Twenty thirteen, the year of the marathon, the year of two, two marathons, yeah. if I'm correct. So, tell me about the marathons, and obviously you've done this average thirty five k a week. You never look like missing from memory. This, this target either by the way like there was never a time where you had to cram it was just it was last like, couple of days <laughs> there's a bit of cramming in no, uh, you can fill me in on that in a tick <laughs> tell me about your debut marathon because there's going to be listeners now that are really going to be able to to um, sympathise with Pulsies he's, he's coming up to his debut marathon tell me about the couple of days preceding and how you felt and just the start line and, and the race in totality so um, 2013 Gold Coast Marathon was my first marathon um one of the boys who I was running with at Icarus was um, also a bit of a, a run coach, um, Paul Woodward, uh, Zatz, a great man. He was putting sessions together, uh, putting programs together for the boys and having an idea or a general marathon plan. So I was able to stick to this plan for 12 weeks and obviously the mileage increases each week and your long run increases each week. So I was able to tick off a lot of the boxes on that plan. So there was three to four sessions a week to complete and I was able to get through that uh, unscathed and injury three. And I remember leading into Gold Coast, I think my longest run before that was about 34Ks. And we used to do a lot of our long runs along Frankston Beach, all the way up to Patterson Lakes here at Runners HQ and around the surrounding areas. And um, every Sunday, just out there, pound the pavement, pound the pavement, pound the pavement kind of thing. And then um, Gold Coast, I flew up on the, I want to say probably the Friday, maybe Friday morning, and then was able to just uh, get my bearings and we're all kind of staying in a similar spot. 
the good thing about Icarus was we organised like a team dinner the Saturday night and that made me feel really comfortable. Um, I had a race, a rough race plan that I wanted to try and break 3.30. Um, big thing about Gold Coast is that when you're training in Melbourne, you're training in the middle of winter. It's cold, it's wet, you don't get a lot of sunlight on you and you go up and run in the Gold Coast and it's hot, it's humid, sunny, um, you're running in conditions that your body's not used to. Um, I had the idea of trying to sit on the 3.30 balloon and in my in my eagerness and the way I was feeling, I thought, oh, I'm feeling a little bit good. I'm feeling pretty good here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. And in hindsight, it was probably the worst decision I, I'd ever made. And I was able to hold probably four sub five minute pace and I was well, well and truly ahead of the balloon. I remember I got, and everything seemed to be going well and those who have run Gold Coast, you kind of do two loops. So you run out for probably 15Ks, come back, and then you've got another, you virtually have to run past your finish line and go out another six, five to six k's out the opposite direction and come back. I remember I got over that massive bridge there in the Gold Coast, which I think is about 28, 30k mark. And um, uh, I, I think I describe it as uh, had, the, had the piano fall on my back. It just started cramping and it was probably uh, nutrition and hydration and what I know now, I wish I knew back then because I reckon I would have been able to hold and break that time goal of 3.30. I ended up, uh, I think I got to about 32 k's and just really started cramping and it was a bit of a run walk from there. I was still able to move throughout pretty well and ended up with a 3.36 or a 3.37, which in hindsight, looking at it run. now, is a pretty good time yeah, for a first time, yeah, uh, first time attempt. And then, yeah, that, that was it. And that was a really good experience. I really enjoyed that. I think Gold Coast is probably the best marathon in Australia to go to um, in terms of the way it's run. Um, good time of year to get away from Melbourne if you're, if you're listening in Melbourne I think it's one of the, the better better events uh, on, on the running calendar here in Australia we've gone up there a few times to race to coach and even this year to do a bit of an expo for the runners virtual did a few interviews posts with just random athletes as well which was really cool you can see it on our socials but a lot of guys had a really good experience but a lot of guys from down south didn't a similar type thing yeah. to you and some of these guys are far more experienced than what you were at the time so we um we talk about acclimatisation a lot and that kind of stuff, but to be honest, you need to be up there for three or four weeks. You can't. Oh, no. it, Gold Coast on the days that it's some some of the days it produces on race days is that humid, and a good ten degrees higher on average than um than Melbourne at the same time. So it is impossible when you've been doing your thirty six, thirty eight k runs as a beginner back then. Thirty four. Some of them, often it's at 5am in the morning as well so you're running 4 or 5 degrees as opposed to what you're going to be finishing the race in 23, 24 and this year being 2018 was a 98% immunity yeah. which was hell what a, now this the spike is very common um, not often in athletes that have come so far so quickly as far as the fitness gain from you as a very overweight uni student I was always getting returns. I was always, I was always having yeah, improvement, which was to, a positive thing. To be doing a 3.36 marathon and he blew up from 12K out, which is ridiculous. So he could have easily 3.25 or better. Okay, so this is a very unfit uni student. He's come this far by mid-2013 and he's in the bag to do this very audacious goal of 2013Ks in 2013 calendar year. Melbourne is continuing on. Is the spike still going up? Yeah, so... A good thing and timing with Melbourne is that Melbourne happens about 15 weeks after the Gold Coast. Um, 
So perfect. Have a couple of weeks to recharge and then you can load up and go again. So same kind of process happens. You kind of have a new plan and you try and work on the things that you learn. You like you try and pick up on a few things that you learn along the way and may maybe tweak your training. So I remember vaguely Tuesday mornings running with Paul Vosti and the Icarus boys around Mount Eliza doing like 15 1K raps before work, Jeez. trying to hold like four, four, four kilometre pace. And you think, you think, oh, Jesus, I've ran 17 Ks before work kind of thing at a decent clip. And you're yeah. thinking, this is, yeah. How good am I going? Yeah, how good am I going kind of thing. Mm. And, um, yeah, and then got through that again. And then same kind of thing. Got to Melbourne in pretty good shape. And touch wood, I, I never had really had any injuries. So it was really positive and got to the start line. And I think one day in the lead up to Melbourne, um, I was having a really, really good run. And it was a 36K. I think it was going to be my longest run. And I was absolutely flying coming down the Pan Highway and then crossing over to the boardwalk there behind Frankston there. I just felt like if it was going to be the day. If I was going to break 3.30, that was going to be the day. And I really, really contemplated just hooking back out and just get the, just, marathon. Just get the marathon out because I reckon I got back to my car, which was 36Ks, at about 2.55. And yeah. I was absolutely flying. I think I was running 4.45, Well, you would have, you would have shitted Yeah, I would have shitted in. Yeah. And I thought that, that was my chance, I, I thought. But... um. No, I pulled myself back. At a Good thought. for the confidence, though. Yeah, absolutely. I I felt better going into Melbourne than I did going into Gold Coast. That was that was one really good run that I look fondly back on. So I got to the start line at Melbourne, and Paul from uh, Icarus said, "I'll pace you. We'll get that three thirty. So Paul, being an ultra competitive kind of guy, he kind of he said he does the right thing by me, but he, go, he we go out hard. We go out hard. Knowing the course, he thought it's probably trying to, if you know the Melbourne course well, it's probably the back. Yeah. There's a bit of hill. There's no hills probably the first 30Ks. The last 10Ks. The last 10Ks are a little bit of a hill. He said, you've got to try and get some time, save some time. So we go out and he's feeling fresh and he's, <laughs> we get to Flinders Street Station, which is probably 1,500 metres into the race. And he goes, Pulse. If I wasn't pacing you today, I reckon I'm on you or I could have got a PB. I was like, no, thanks. And then... So he paces us through and I'm holding on, holding on, holding on, holding on. I get down all, all the way down onto um, Beach Road and coming back past Luna Park and I, I just started to feel like, oh, I'm starting to melt here, starting to melt again. And I'm well and truly ahead of the pacing balloon again and all these kind of connotations, all these like memories start coming back from Gold Coast. I think, all right, I've just got to try and just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. You tell the listeners exactly where that is, 33, 32K, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah about Luna Park. And Sounds very you've got to run up St Kilda, and it's probably a lot of runners face the same way. Mm-hmm. And funny story, I was actually running with Robert Harvey at the time, which is a pretty amazing experience. It was a childhood, um, childhood hero growing up, and I, I was able to run in a bunch with Robert Harvey, his brother, and a couple of the other um, Icarus boys to try and get us through the marathon. And well, then just got, for the I've listeners, <laughs> Robert Harvey is also an idol of mine. He's an Australian rules footballer, one of the best. Midfielders of all time, a two-time Brownlow medalist. Pulse is a big St Kilda man, which is our local team here in Melbourne. And he is, Rob Harvey is one of the greats. So he's running with one of the legends of Australian rules football and his childhood idol. Continue. Yeah, um, Paul t- tells the story of uh, 
said halves that was one of the heaviest tags i've ever seen applied on you pulse was hanging off his left shoulder the whole time <laughs> and that was a really cool experience and um got up back up to St Kilda Road and I just started to melt I think it was more of a head thing I just just couldn't tell myself I couldn't hang on I couldn't hang on I said to the boys that I'm cooked here I'm just gonna just try and get my way back to the line and I don't know what happened because I still was in a good position like I don't know how I managed I think it probably went out too hard and I had a bit of a buffer there so I thought all right I'll just I stopped for a walk and then I thought then I got back going again but once you start for a walk there's always going to be more walking to come so I um, got around the hill at the town there, the far hill. So coming up Anderson Street. 37. 37. And then I remember coming back down the hill past the shrine, I think. The balloon, I could feel the balloon coming to me. <laughs> Have we been there before, listeners? <laughs> Christ. I felt the balloon coming. I felt it. I felt it. I felt it. I thought, I'm still a chance here. I'm still a chance. Maybe I can go with the balloon when it got back. So that was always in my head thinking, I'll try and jump back on. Try and jump back on and if it come past me. So I was kind of a bit of a run walk up until that moment. And then I thought, once it went past me, I tried and I tried. And I just couldn't. It was just more of a mental thing, I think, again. I just dropped off the back. And once I dropped off the back of the balloon, I kind of went into a bit of salvation mode. And I just wanted to know new I break. I wanted to break 337 a and, PB, and yes. just do a PB. What kilometre mark did this 330 balloon catch Jay Pulse? I reckon it was probably about 37, 38 Ks. You've done well, mate. But yeah, you've just blown up. So, look, we know it's, it's hard to know mentally and physically. Like, you've got gurus out there like Alex Hutchinson writing books, like in Jewel, which is just an epic about mental. This sounds a bit similar to that, like hearing that story for the for the very first time, to be honest, in that much depth. Um, it sounds similar because at, you, you're at the, you've had such an upward spike. Mm. There, there's got to be, the marathon is such a beautiful distance. It's why we love it so much because of what you just said. There's got to be some thing there about the way you went out. If it was three seconds a kilometre too fast. Yeah, absolutely. And there has to be something physiological. There's no doubt about that. Is there something psychological? Possibly. To be honest, we just will never know now mm. until we can just um, get back there. We can get back there and get to that kind of shape again. But three thirty, like I got no doubt at that stage of your life, you're a three twenty five um, marathoner. And that comes back to experience and this training Correct. principles and methods. So the methodology you've quickly touched on. This was to be your peak of running for that stage, or was the Ironman over the journey? You nah, so. <laughs> Ironman kind of come How during, did that come about? Come that year. So in 20, would have been 2013, um, Melbourne, or well, Frankston was lucky enough to hold hold the Asia Pacific Championships, which was fantastic, being in your backyard. On seeing, our doorstep. Seeing elite athletes um, train. So at the time, my personal trainer was doing triathlon and he, I thought, yeah, I'll go have a look. May as well, it's in Frankston. I've always kind of had a... Uh, a minor interest in Ironman. I remember growing up as a kid watching Wide World of Sports, watching blokes like Greg Walsh and stuff on the TV, and I'm thinking, oh, look at this thing's amazing. Like this, it always used to pop up on Channel Nine. I reckon I thought I always had a knowledge of it. Always thought, yeah, these guys are pretty unbelievable athletes. So I went and had a look and followed his journey all the way. And the good thing about um, Ironman Melbourne or was that the run was from Frankston to Melbourne. So you were able to follow the runners along. 
and the atmosphere that generated for me and being at that finishing shoot, I don't, uh, hopefully um, everyone gets an opportunity to go down and just see an Ironman finishing shoot because um, I left that place on a buzz, on a high. I felt like I wanted to do a thousand push-ups when I was there and I thought this I wanted to be a part of this kind of thing. And during that 2013 year, before these marathons, the thing with Ironman, they open up a year before and I thought, yeah, seems, the, seems the next logical step for me. I'm going to do these two marathons. I thought, oh, I want Ironman. So it's only, doesn't look too bad. Kind of thing. So, yeah, no yeah. triathlon experience. No. Never done a fun run. Or get, a, I, was, I was about to get to that. So yeah. you, before you even done marathons. So, yeah, and ever. the thing was, like, I was, I probably left my run on hindsight. I don't know how I've managed to. So in the space of July, I think, is Gold Coast. So I've gone... Um, Marathon in July on Gold Coast, marathon in October for um, Melbourne, and then did an Ironman in March. Okay. And just then finished off 2013 Ks in 2013. So he's done. He's, he's ticked all the boxes. That is ridiculous. Listeners, most people do a 5K fun run if they want to get fit. Uh, the, the fellow in front of me has done two marathons and an Ironman triathlon in the space of eight to nine months ridiculous just before we get to that iron man what was the how'd you get the 2013 what was that last couple of days like um kind of fell off the wagon late and then realized um i think my body just needed a bit of a rest which was probably looking back at it now makes a lot of sense um so um got to december and i was a little bit behind schedule so i had to cram a little bit and i always said i wanted to make a big deal of it if i kind of kind of uh, got there so in December I was late December around Christmas time I was having a cram I remember I had to run I think I ran Christmas day and boxing day and these kind of things just to try and finish it off and I was able to get there in the end um, I was able to organize this kind of event where we ran from our house and I, would, I did the last 13 case together from Somerville to Tyre with some mates yeah but like I just said That's if you awesome. want to come and have a have a look and come and support I like, I'd invite everyone that was kind of interested and I had probably and then people were saying oh I don't think I'll be able to run the thing I said it doesn't matter just tell me how far you'd like to run and I'll tell you where to meet us and you can and I ended up running all the way back home into my court at my parents house at the time and there's a lot of people there and it was it was a really cool experience is, and yeah. Just, yeah it was really really cool i think for that's it's so unique and I, I love that as well people set themselves stuff to do and, and often they get there but to do that it's quite an extraordinary performance from a uh, not a very seasoned distant runner at the time at all i feel like the reason you're not you're able to do it so before everyone gets off this podcast and starts setting outlandish goals was because you are quite educated so make sure if you are looking to do something as outlandish as what Pulsey has done five or six years ago, he was educated and he did have easy People around. Him. I had resources around yeah, me. Lots of resources around him. So make sure you outsource some help. He had lots of help. He did things smart. Yes, he achieved so much in a very brief period, but he didn't do it by being silly. So that's number one to take away. Number two, let's not take anything away from him. That is an extraordinary performance from um, a young fellow in his early 20s just wanting to make himself a better version of himself and he's done that in one calendar year of running 2014 lead up to the Ironman how's your prep looking? Uh, <laughs> this is a funny story 
<laughs> looking back at this, I shake my head and laugh at how I actually got to the I got to the Ironman start line in 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 a, in a, in a um in a state where I was able to compete. I was making it up as I went along. Fair income. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So coming off, like I had never ridden a bike. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Go back. What do you mean? (laughs) When did you start riding a bike on the road? I didn't purchase a bike to probably, um, I got burnt by buying a bike from eBay. So I bought a bike from eBay, which cost me about two and a half thousand bucks second hand. Yes. Through, a mate kind of got me onto this deal who was a bit of a rider and he thought, yeah, this would and be what, the, this what happened the one to that said bike? Uh, that bike got shipped over from Perth and it was a dud. The frame was cracked uh, <laughs> and everything. So could we be tried a story to, for another day. Did you get your money back? No. Nah, oh, couldn't because it anyway, was through like a private purchase. So what happens now? What happens is that... Um, so I thought, oh, I've got to go buy a brand new one. So I went and bought a brand new bike and then started riding and... <laughs> The first ride I ever did was... In ride, cleats? In cleats. Yep. Um, no, I think I put the cleats on a couple of days before I just run around the court because I'd never used them before. I didn't even have a, a water carrier on my bike at this stage. Like, I, it didn't come with one. So I went out for my first ride ever and I did 70Ks, I think, from Mount Eliza to Sorrento, <laughs> which I don't know how I managed to do that. On a time trial bike, not even on a roadie. Like, I didn't even buy a road bike. I had had a time trial bike. Which... I'm buying this bike purely for the Ironman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sit on a TT bike. Yeah, I'm going to sit on a TT bike. So here I am, this complete novice, out riding, like, through Mount Martha and Mornington, down to Sereno. And it's a very hard, <laughs> that's a very hard course. Uh, it's very undulating. It's very undulating. And I was able to get through 70... 70Ks without any water. On pure <laughs> fitness. Oh, pure. just on pure fitness. So I was able to use my running and those kind of things too. So, How long pre-Ironman do you p- purchase your bike? Because I want listeners to start to think about these guys that are listening thinking, oh, actually, it's something I want to do. I know there's lots of people that aren't sure about the, the riding aspect of the Ironman. I reckon I brought my bike probably September, October. And because I was in the middle of, mar- like, right in the heart of marathon training, I, I, I didn't touch it for probably the first month. Yeah. So for- I reckon I didn't get on my bike to November. So he's ridden his bike for four months before an Ironman. Just, just to get some perspective on, like, obviously it's a great story, but you can do this stuff if you are that hell-bent and mentally tough And I was to just kind of, I was, I was making it up as I went along. In that, and looking back at it now, I just don't know how I was able to do that. Because- you wouldn't be the first. Oh, and, no, and, not at all. And but- you won't be the last. No. Nah. But just to just to I don't know how I got to a point where I was able to achieve what I did in that race. Tell me um, about the morning of the Ironman, waking up. You've you've possibly internally know you might have made a fair bit up, but I tell you what is you in your favour: the fact you've ran two really good marathons yeah. in the last twelve months. So you've got that residual fitness. You're certainly hard. You're fit. Possibly the lightest you've ever been. If we were to guess. I think we spoke off air. You're probably 40 to 50 kilos lighter than your heaviest at you. Yeah, I reckon I probably got down to about 87, but then um, the nutrition side kind of wasn't as strict as I was once was, and probably it was about 90, 94 leading, kilos. Leading up to Ironman. Oh, man, yeah. It's really hard to maintain like, Sometimes, weight. It's just, yeah. yeah, it was really hard. So Sometimes that happens. Relax, yeah. So, yeah. yeah um, the morning you of think the you, race. You think you just got to eat, eat, eat when you're doing the Ironman training, which, which is not, not necessarily no, the case. Not the case, but you know that now. Yeah. Four, four and a half, five years later. Um, so you wake up. the race, which is, uh, it's always good waking up in your own bed. Um, wake up. Um, the weather forecast was looking good, so it wasn't, wasn't a hot day. 
was overcast. Um, the good thing about Ironman is you rack your bike the day before, so you don't have to really worry about anything. Um, you go in there and virtually pump your tyres up. But that's something that I was, wasn't was even really accustomed to. I can't either. imagine having only four months' experience. But Yeah, there was, it was a few things that... And I, I, I felt like a bit of a fish out of the water. But um, um, I had a mate there that was racing as well. And I, I was able to find him on... Um, I had two mates that I knew that were racing. I was able to find him... Um, before the race, and he was able to just talk to me, and he checked my he checked my tyres, which is I was extremely thankful for, and just made sure was, everything was in the right position for me, ready to go. But in hindsight, some of the things I was doing, like previously, like I remember I went to the bike shop to make sure I had everything right the the morning of. I didn't I didn't have all the right equipment or anything like that. I was I was not complete novice, complete novice, and I was able to get to the start line, and I still shake my head and wonder how I actually got to the start line in the in the way I did. And, yeah, um, yeah, it was a big day, but I learned a lot of myself along the way. Um, but this, I was I was able to, I was able to get through it. And this kind of stuff is why we want to talk. I wanted to talk to Pulsey so early on in our runners radio series. So is it, the thing about an Ironman is you get plenty of time to reflect. You get plenty of time to think. Mm. So you were on the road all day. Now I can't remember your finishing time, but it was it was okay. It was it wasn't it wasn't. What was it? Uh, thirteen. Phenomenal. Thirteen thirty. So thirteen thirty hasn't touched a bike ever in his life. He's ran four months of riding, not really a swimmer either. No, and he's he just started running eighteen months prior as well. So you can't get any more novice than that for an Ironman competitor. In fact, if we were to go through the field on that particular day, surely your experience levels would be in the bottom 0.1%. That have to be. Oh, I couldn't imagine anyone less experienced. Oh, there would have been someone probably with a similar story, but it wouldn't have been many. It wouldn't have been many, mate. Now, we've completed that. Now, mentally, how's your life looking? How are you sitting? You're midway through 2014. You're in a really good spot. You know you're now an Ironman triathlete. No one can take that away from yes. you, by the way which is something that I haven't done in Ironman and many other athletes have never and possibly never will. So mentally, you've ticked this amazing box, the grand crescendo of sport, really. Where are you at in your life? And obviously, it works great because you've got quite a good job and you're very, very good at it, which is great. But where are we now mentally? Are we Uh, finding stuff about ourselves? Yeah, yeah. So... um during that 2013 process, I was able to um, find a lovely girlfriend, and that kind of blossomed throughout that time. Um, it was probably midway through 2013 when I started uh, seeing the lovely Jess and spending more time with her, and uh, she came on that journey with me and was able to support me through these crazy pursuits of mine, and she sacrificed a lot, you know, pretty new relationship to be able to support me through these, these events, which was really, really helpful, because I don't think without her... I don't think I would have been able to achieve some of the things I was able to. Um, I finished Ironman in 2014, and that's good experience. Um, but mentally, I, I start to it, it became really tough because you've trained for something this whole time, and then you've completed it. And, and I did some research on it, and there was a thing called post Ironman blues, and I reckon I got a fair shake of it. Not. Certainly not alone in that. No. Same no. for the marathon. Same yeah. for any big feat. Same for, look, after any amazing feat in sport and endurance, not just endurance, but anything. Anything, yeah. Anything you've worked towards. Could, it could be it could be a footy final. It could be anything that you've worked so hard to to achieve. 
especially being still on that upward spike that we speak about, you dropped 40 kilos odd, you, your VO2 would have gone up at least 30%. So all these physiological factors were at play. When that starts to plateau, mm. when everything else starts to take, get a little bit harder, other th- other factors are at play. It's not always going to be going in that straight trajectory. You've started to plateau a bit emotionally as well. Yeah. And fatigue takes... You, you, yeah, you, I think you, I was burnt out. I was, I was You start cooked. to realise how tired you are. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it took... took Good couple of months off everything. I think I was still doing a little bit of exercise. I can't remember what I was, but it was just just for fun. It wasn't anything serious, and um, became a little bit more relaxed on my food and just try to enjoy my life and enjoy spending time with Jess, which is great. Yeah, which is great. Like probably exactly what I needed. Doing that, um, my metabolism isn't the greatest, so I start to put on weight, put on weight again. Which is something I, I, I've struggled, I always struggle with. I always kind of get to a point where I'm happy, and then I stop doing what I was doing previously, or it hasn't been sustainable, and I tend to I tend to balloon back out to a weight where I'm not happy with, and the cycle kind of started again. So I went back and did one of those another of those um, 60 day challenges, and was able to get to a, a weight where I was happy again, and then decided I'll. I thought I had a little bit of left. I had a, something to something to give out on the Ironman course again, and I thought if I'm going to do it now, I'm going to do it properly. Yeah. So, so I went out and sourced a coach. Yeah. This time and so um, an Ironman specific Ironman triathlon specific yeah. coach, and I thought if I was going to do it, this was the time to do it. So I had a year off, I think. So that was twenty. I did the Ironman in 2014. Um, got through to 2015 and thought, all right, I'm going to have a go at 2016. He went up to Cairns in Queensland, is that correct? Yeah, Cairns in far north Queensland in 2016. The original plan was to do Melbourne, 2016, but that got stripped and is no longer an event on the Ironman calendar. Yeah, mm. oh, very much so, greatly disappointing. Beautiful course. Um, something to do with the Grand Prix, I've been told, but there's whispers in triathlon communities that's not always the case. It hasn't been the case. Hopefully, I'm hearing Geelong might eventually become an Ironman. I know we're biased, but Victoria is one of the sporting meccas in the world. And then I just felt like having the support and like having an Ironman in Melbourne was or Frankston was unbelievable because I had all my mates, my family, and I think I saw you at one oh, point in the pub <laughs> as I ran past in Chelsea or, in or something like that. We did have some athletes. <laughs> we did have some athletes on course, and we um we were sitting at the Chelsea pub and. Having a few quiet froffies and and you I, missed the Schneider. I remember giving I jogged, me a razz on the yeah, way. I, I did jog with you in thongs for 500 meters as well. But then I quickly, I was go, I was going through a tough patch at that. Quickly, <laughs> that's a tough point in the course. I quickly assumed my position at the bar and then continued to wait for my other athletes coming through. But that's a story for another day as well. Yeah. Now, yeah. Cairns Iron Man, you're feeling good again. A ridiculously hot venue for an endurance event. Yeah, and I was able to have a. Uh, I got kind of a bit stuffed around with Melbourne. So the difference between Melbourne was going to be March and then um, Cairns was going to be June. So I was my training was primed for yeah. um, March. And then obviously obviously with you and with the coach, he was managing my training loads for this point. And obviously when you find out <laughs> your, um, your A rates has been taken away and you have to go and try and find something else and then you have to prolong your training... It, kind of was a bit of a a bit of a suck massive suck and it kind of affected me more than i think it really should have yeah it would happen regularly around the world but no doubt it if you're not 
in the right headspace sometimes. So I think I trained six months up until that, I think March, I think I started, so if you work backwards, so I I thought about September or October that I would have a decent crack at it. And then to give myself six months with a coach. And to prolong that by three months doesn't seem like a lot, but in terms of Ironman training, to know you have to go back to the well for three more months, oh. it was it was a bit deflating. And I picked up a few injuries along the way too during that time, which didn't help my cause. Like I wasn't able to run a great deal as well, which was something that I thought would be my strength in triathlon, but I've never been able to really work that out yet. And it's something that maybe one day I'll, I'll get back to. But Cairns, Cairns is an interesting play i don't know if people have been to cairns it's hot humid um i I think i got the worst day in the history of the cairns ironman up there though battled Uh, it was a battle the sea was massive out in palm cove there i don't know if anyone's been there it's normally pristine it's normally pristine like a bath but this day it was the wind was just right and it was I, I was lucky because I had a bit of experience through school and being on the Mornington Peninsula swimming in some Rump, swell. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm able to manage. And I, I did, I've done a little bit of surf lifesaving through school and through um, work as well. And I'm, I can handle myself in some some pretty ordinary conditions. Um, I'd still be out there, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I would, mate. So. Um, so I was able to get through in a time that was pretty similar to what I did at Frankston two years earlier. Um, and on that day at Frankston, it was like a bath. So obviously, all the work I had been doing with wow. my swim training. Well, that, that's that's encouraging. Yes, I thought, oh, this is okay. Mm. Uh, but I got out drained. I thought, geez, this is this is hard. This is hard. And I remember uh, Jess goes, well, yeah, well done. And I just looked at her and just shook my head. I got I a long like, day ahead of me. I got a long day ahead of me. Um, so uh, jump on the bike. Um, it's pissing down with rain at this point in time. It's like, <laughs> it's the worst day ever. Like, this is not good. So jump on. Is jump. anyone else glad that it was him and not <laughs> us? Because I'm pretty happy, uh, right? Um, uh, I'm pretty miserable at this point in time. I'm trying to, I had a bit of a mantra about always trying to run happy or be happy. And I was really struggling with that. So get on the bike. And the bike course for the Cairns Ironman is from Palm Cove to Port Douglas. Port Douglas back to really Palm Cove, Palm Cove to Port Douglas, then Port Douglas all the way back into Cairns. And it's pretty undulating. There's a few hills in there, a few stingers. So it's up and down. Um, I remember early on in my race, I must have went through a pothole or hit a bump and I've lost a fair bit of my nutrition. I've lost my spare tube out of my back canister, which was carrying all my things. The lid just popped off. So I was riding without a lid in my back canister. So I've lost um, my CO2, I've lost everything. And previous to Melbourne, previous to this story in Melbourne, I got a flat at Seaford Road, about eight k's out from T2, transition two. And having no, being a bike novice, I had no idea how to change a tire. <laughs> right? Oh. So yeah, that's probably a story for another day. So yeah, I come prepared been, to Cairns. You can imagine. Yeah. yeah and it's a lot of I was, at, I was actually lucky that the on-course mechanic was able to come and change me. And I, there was a one point in time, this guy was going to stop for me. I had a tube, but I didn't know what I was doing with it. Like, I didn't know. Oh it was at one point, a guy was going to stop and do it for me. And I would ever been so thankful. I remember I was going to make sure I remembered his number and yeah. I was going to try and find him. That's beautiful. He was going to, it was, and... That's really cool. Yeah, so was lucky because if I was at 
the rules of Ironman state you can't have any outside assistance. No. So, um, I was I was, ha- I was lucky that they're on. F- you can't have. They do provide some help, but it just happens to be whether you are along the course and, and they were able to come and help me and he put a new tire in. It was actually a rock stuck in my tube. And it was at, like I got, it was at 173K so mark. Of, so I learned how to do the tire and everything into my next one, but I lost all my equipment. So I, I was literally, I was, I was stuffed. I was going to be hoping for another miracle to come along. You had the skills about the toolkit. Yeah, I had nothing in my canister. I think I would have to borrow something. Or, it could have been disastrous. So, um, it was a tough day in the office. Um, for some reason, my seat come loose. So, I was on the side of the road just out of Port Douglas trying to fix my seat at one point because the seat had tilted down and I felt like I wasn't didn't have a seat at all. So, I was off my bike at one point there tightening my seat. Um, so, and then I got put in the penalty box for <laughs> drafting. Crossed. For five minutes. Naughty palsy. Yeah. Naughty. <laughs> Apparently. And then I cramped massively coming up the hill for the second time. So I got off my bike. Where had to you, walk up the hill. Where were you cramping? Um, calves. Always oh, got it in the calves. That's fantastic. Leading into a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Just what I, you I wasn't want. even. I probably still had 40k's to ride still. Just so I got what up you the want. hill. And I think I was riding angry. I wasn't riding within my zones, I which I'd imagine. Yeah. And um, I was riding too hard. And um, <laughs> got back into cans in reasonable shape, I thought. And I remember coming out of transition and I was seeing Jess and I just thought, right, the plan was to run. The idea was based on the past experience of the Ironman. I went out too hard. I remember the first Ironman I ran my first 10Ks in 53 minutes and then just fell in a massive hole. So what was the plan later? The plan was to sit on about 545, six kilometre pace. I reckon I got about 400 metres out of transition and had to walk. Yeah, right. So I... Have you seen Jess yet? Because I couldn't. Yeah, no, that. I saw Jess as I come. Was out. it a very moody pulse that greeted no, Jess? No, I was all right. I was all right. I just realised I was in for a world of hurt. So I tried to get, try to stick to the plan and try to hit what my, my what my race plan was to sit at five forty-five to six fifteen, whatever it was. I tried for four hundred meters and it just wasn't working for me. So I thought I'll just walk. I'll try and compose myself and I'll see if I can get going again. And I remembered back to Melbourne and similarly, I thought, all right. What, have I, what am I going to try and do here to get me through this? And it, what it boiled down to was walk 500, run 500. And that I virtually did the last 38 Ks of the marathon, walk 500, run 500. You're amazing, mate. This is a story. And I set my watch to do that. So every time it beat Beeps. 500, I would... And then there'd be times where I'd be feeling all right and I would um, maybe extend that a jog little a bit, bit or jog a bit extra. Or if it was if it was an aid station where I'd go through, I'd, it might extend my walk. There's no doubt that's happened before, and I, was yeah. no, there's, I reckon 20% of the course would end up doing it on particular days. Oh, whatever. Yeah, like people walk. All the time. Walk them, they can walk it. Like they you, walk see, it. you see Ironman athletes at very, very regularly walking. When you have days like Pulsey's just described, there's no doubt they're going to end up walking. But to mentally tough that out, look, a lot, most of the listeners might have done a long race of, of some nature. So say you're a marathoner and you've run a few marathons. Imagine cramping up pre-marathon and then and then 400 metres into the race. Almost <laughs> having, gave up. <laughs> having to walk and almost give up. Forget about the physical tasks that he's done, this great man. What I love him about is his mental and emotional toughness because he does not ever stop and he continues to um, fly in the face of adversity. 
you finish the marathon and I can't believe that a finish line would be greeted with so much enthusiasm <laughs> as, that, as that day. Uh, ah, <laughs> uh, the uh, the finishing shoot of an Ironman man have uh, majestical powers. Tears? Ah, uh, no, not tears. I was just I was just pumped to finish. You just just adrenaline takes over your body and you just you just you amped. And I I, I come good the last six k's. I felt really strong and I was running. If I think you can look back at my data, like I was, my 500 meter splits were like two minutes or 2:15. So I was flying during my 500 meters, but I, I stayed disciplined to what I was achieving, and I was able to pump out k's at like seven eight minutes based on the fact that I was. And you were still walking for half that k. Yeah, I was still working for half that k. Pro- probably we we haven't really spoke about your strengths as per se, but definitely. It probably lends something towards your strengths. Like you are good at just continuing to grind away. Yeah, yeah. On a day that was so bad as oh, that, as that day, so to still be 11, 12 hours in, and then starting to actually pick the tempo up to be over on five hundreds at four twenty, yeah. Base, which is probably an indication of where I believe your, your strengths lie. But it's still good to continue to hit the whole gamut. You finished cans now. Twenty fifteen, from a mental perspective. You've got a pretty good life. Everything's great yeah. outside. Life's great. You've obviously started to settle a bit, but then it does start to plateau with performance, which we all get. Yeah. The performance plateau continues through. Injuries have started to strike. You've employed a strength coach. You've you've come and seen me in around this this whole time. So you can speak about the last three years. Yeah. And then we'll get into some more, some bit deeper, but. You got a strength coach. You got a pretty good routine going. Yeah, and it's just now we're starting to look towards so the future. Since since that since that Ironman, I got really sick after it. Like I got like some bug, and it floored me, like really badly. Like I was um, at one point I didn't. I, they weren't going to let me fly home. That's how sick I looked in the in the in the waiting lounge. So that was two days after. It wasn't self induced. From 45 froffies around. Uh, I had a few froffies that day. and I've got a photo there with Australian Ironman Pete Jacobs sharing a beer. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, the world champ. Yeah, the world champ. 2012. And he actually handed me my medal that night, which was, I well, told him that. It was, it was a good story. It was a cool story. I was able to have a beer with him and have a chat to him about it all. But it was an immune system issue, no doubt. Uh, probably, yeah. And I woke up that next morning after the, the Monday after the Ironman and I, I, I was the sickest I've ever been. <laughs> Um, and we drew to fly home and that really knocked me around for a little while and I t- obviously took a break off training and stuff like that and um, went to Bali thereafter with Jess for our first holiday which was really really cool and then decided well what's what's next what am I going to do next kind of thing so um, employed the strength coach Lockie down at Virtus and been with him ever since he's fantastic coming to see you as well just trying to just to work out what I wanted to do and I've been a bit un, not unlucky. I've had some injuries and obviously life and things. Like that. I've been enjoying life probably a little bit more. And it's good. Once again, the cycle's probably come back up the other way, and I've started to balloon out again. And, I, and I've, I've been wanting to do something about it for probably the last twelve months, but my um, body's been struggling to adapt to a few of the changes that I've been trying to implement, and haven't quite found the right one. But hopefully, moving forward, um, I can get back. And the end goal is to become that competitive. Um, age group runner again and yeah. and just to be maybe have a crack at a marathon and maybe focus on one sport instead of three yeah definitely <laughs> and the thing about this is, is it's really realistic of normal life with Pulsey he really was 
really narrowed in for a couple of years due to the extremity of the situation. He really narrowed in on his, his health, both physical and mental, but more probably physical, to be honest. He really went hard. He really yeah. went hard. I don't know. And looking back at it, I, I don't know how I functioned as a, as a school teacher, as a Ironman trainer and as a functioning member of of a relationship Correct. or with my friends. I don't know how I managed to yeah. do it. I don't know po- how possibly I balanced didn't. it. Possibly, possibly you could do it for just that amount of time, but it clearly something had to give. Yes, yeah. And I don't know how I managed to get through did what give. I did. And most, a lot of Ironman triathletes, we've had many in here, say exactly the same thing. Um, it just, it does take its toll. Possibly without the Ironman, Pulsey continues to go on that upward hmm. trajectory we spoke before, but possibly not either. The injuries and the plateaus come, but it's how we work through them. So you've got a pretty good routine at the moment. Now, he's coming to see, obviously, myself and other, and, and our, our guys more for, I guess, that continuity of work, that one or two VO2 type work. I like structure in, yeah. my, in my training. Without so, structure, I get a bit lost and get a bit demotivated. You're not in alone of, there. Yeah, no, I think having a plan and trying to work to it is, is a real positive is a real tool for me that i like to use to try so pulsey's always been really good at surrounding himself with with people and we always communicate myself and Lockie, who's fantastic down at virtus and and pulsey and now a uh, a nutritionist and um i guess uh, he's made a is it a kinesiologist? No, just a nutritionist. Naturopath. We're, naturopath. Sorry, we're all on the same page via email regularly, which is often the case for a lot of our athletes. But Pulse is really good at continuing to keep us all in the loop and a nice group email. Our main goal would definitely be with Pulse. I'm, I'm passionate about getting these 5 and 10K times down and that parlaying over to the marathon. Yeah. Because I believe he's a 325 marathoner and then some because he's only 31, yes? Yeah. 31 years of age I honestly believe he'll be very low threes by the time he's 40 but we need to get everything in alignment and that that's not that's the whole gamut of things so Pulsey does a lot of driving in his day he's got a he's got a very good job but also a very time consuming and, and energy zapping type job when you because he's so passionate he gives so much to these kids which is beautiful but he's driving a lot in the car and then he's trying to train a lot around us now tell me we spoke about your favourite book before, and just touch on this topic a few for a few minutes for me because this is quite massive um, with so much of the population. Um, every single one of us would have suffered from anxiety over the journey. Yeah, so I, I, I battle and still currently still do battle with a lot of um, anxiety, and it's surrounded by um, self-worth, um, confidence, and things like that. So I, I'm I'm uber harsh on myself, and that times that can't be great. So um, I've got some strategies and stuff there that I've learnt to deal with it, and I've been doing a lot of research. Um, I haven't quite got to the point of going to speak to someone, but I have um, read it, read some books along the way, and that one of the good books is that um, I've read is Sarah Wilson. First, we make the beast beautiful and it's a book about how she deals with anxiety and um um and it, it's taught me a lot about understanding anxiety and the triggers i think the big thing with anxiety and mental health is trying to catch it before it happens 
I know I'm no professional and I, I say to people, well, you should go talk to someone about that at school, but I haven't gone that down path myself. And it's probably a little bit contradictory to what, what I say is, but I think I've learned along the way some strategies to keep me in the right path. And I know having my partner, Jess, she's really good at picking up some cues about what's happening in my life that may affect me and could lead me into a bit of a, a spiral or a downward spiral or, or a dip. Because I think life for me is very, very cyclical and it follows patterns and um, certain triggers in my life can affect me and accelerate those patterns. So I get nice, feel confident and then I'll come back down. A bit of like a sine curve for all the maths people out there. <coughs> Excuse me, where I... What the hell's a sine curve? Sine Joe? curve is just your normal... Oh, up yes, and down mountain yes. I would have said just not lineal <laughs> no up and down up and down yeah for sure true this is <laughs> so Pulsey's really good with with us as his coaches and, and performance team around him you know we won't talk ad nauseum about it but we'll just we'll just all be aware and, and he'll, he'll be very honest with all of us so the fact he says he hasn't seeking professional help doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't been talking to anyone so he's got his no. he's got his beautiful um, partner Jess, he's got myself, he's got Lockie, he's got a couple other people that are in his very close circle that he can have a coffee with and, and discuss. I've got many elite, sub-elite, general population first-timers that have seeking professional help and they always, always are better for it. So please, yeah, never, this is the this is the missing part part of the puzzle for oh, me. I know I should. And I, I, deep down, I know I should, but yeah. I, I can't bring myself to do it. That's okay. And, and this is why it's so raw, and this is why we wanted to get him on as well, is he's, he's, he's done some amazing things, and we're not even, like, one-tenth through the journey. That's the thing. So these little things and um, are all part of the journey, like knowing yeah. when to say, okay, I need – what is it? Is it I need to work on my lactate threshold? Is it just that? Oh, I could probably work on a bit of running economy. I know I'm not very strong in my uh, left leg press and my left leg extension. Oh, actually, I definitely need to talk to someone. I would I would honestly estimate that all of us could benefit oh, from talking to someone. We're just talking talk to someone and just being open and frank with what you're going through. And I've got, as, as you explained before, I've got some people that outside of professional help that I speak to regularly about the way I'm feeling and trying to change my my uh the way i feel about myself but um i'm getting better at and i think with anxiety and a little things a bit like that i'm getting better at recognizing the symptoms and the and the triggers that may put me down and i think trying to catch it before you hit that point is is a big thing for me being able to try and, and prevent it please know that you're not alone because everybody does struggle and even if they you don't think they do they do so everyone isn't okay all the time. So make sure if you're feeling like that's an issue for you, you need to reach out to anybody and somebody and there's plenty of apps and other stuff and other phone numbers you can ring for that. But let's take it back to a performance thing. It is so detrimental to yeah. performance to feel like this all the time. So it's probably one of the major reasons why Pulsey really hit a big plateau. And he, he probably doesn't know it yet himself, but we all have issues that probably cause us to go backwards in a performance factor. Yeah, I think to I think looking back at it now, um, letting past successes and achievements define who you are. Like you always hold yourself accountable totally. to to what you've done in the past. Totally. And as 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 you said before, like I've gone through this massive growth phase where I've been able to achieve so much and is that now should that be my norm now? 
probably not because that that kind of thing's not sustainable and no. it's not it's not it doesn't equate to living a, a long and not, probably does long and prosperous but it, it, it means your life's going to fall down in other circumstances as well correct just moving in the morning is enough and you, your favorite quote which i absolutely love is win the morning win the day yeah so um i've heard that a couple of times and for me i get great um i get great productivity through me being active in the morning and then me going to work I think it makes me the best version of myself. Totally. And then I can then relax at home in the afternoon and do what I need to do. Yeah, and be a better partner. And yeah, and those absolutely. kind of things. And More people will ask all the time, why do you get up so early and those things. So there's now just recently moved houses where the alarm's going off at like quarter past four or 4.30 to get to get here or something like that. And people ask, me, mm. people ask me why I do it. I just said, I think it feels just like it makes me a better person and it makes me more me more productive in my job at work and yeah it just it just it just works for me and you can be a night trainer that's totally fine it's just whatever but for me win the morning win the day it just sets up my day sets up my week for me to to achieve what i want to achieve it's so spot on so he's he does drive 30 to 40 minutes to get here at 5 30 in the morning as well so and he does do it weekly twice weekly so the earlier part of our interview was a little bit more superficial and a little bit about how he turned his life around and I've I got no doubt that's going to resonate with lots of you but this last five ten minutes was I'm really stoked that we delved a little bit deeper because it is such a massive part of all of us we all do struggle with certain things but if we can start to put things in place whether it's training morning training night the performance will come later yeah. That, that's a nice little byproduct. Please don't define yourself by your results. I know we speak spoke a lot about results today, but it's not all about that. So, Pulsey, we've got goals we want to achieve, no doubt. But I think the number one goal is just to be able to live a little bit easier and not have to yeah. go through those kind of anxiety-filled days and moments. And But that all begins with just being a little bit easier on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. That That's not just for Pulsey. That's for everybody. Yeah. The future for Pulsey, in his own words, like where do you feel as a performance athlete, where do you feel your strengths lie and where do you feel in the next five years, let's just talk the next five years, some of your goals from an athletic perspective. Um, that's a good question, Rick. Um, as I said, I think I stated earlier, I, I want to become a competitive age group runner again. Um I think I've still got a little bit to give on the Ironman course. I don't know if I will, um, but maybe one last crack somewhere. I feel, I think might be in order. You're only um, 31. That's, yeah, yeah. You, you'll do plenty more Ironman, but it might not be the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah. no. Nah, and it's weird. I think I've done a lot of things that, um, as a young, as a younger person, a lot of people, if you follow their trajectory, do these things later in life. So, I kind of got to a point now where I, I think I'm a little bit. Uh, searching for what I want to do next. I've talked about becoming a competitive age group runner again, and I don't know what distance. I just think I just want to get back to it and enjoying running again. And then I think with that, maybe um, the 10K and the half marathon, and then the ma- it'll, it'll all progress from there. I just want to get to a point where I'm comfortable in my own skin and my running is, pro- I use running as a tool to allow me to deal with my anxiety and those kind of things too. At sometimes it's created a little natural, uh, an unhealthy reliance on that, and like yeah. I've been really bad where I've missed training sessions, and that's caused me to spiral. But I yeah. just want to get to a point where I'm at a at a stable enough level to to uh, 
and whatever I decide to do, I can do it. Now, the next the next thing I wanted to go with is strengths and weaknesses, but he's already spoken about that. I think I might have a quick chat about that. His strength is no doubt his mental toughness, absolutely. Stubbornness, if some Stubbornness. people may say. Weaknesses, weakness could, same. Be, could be the same, <laughs> which definitely is common of, of a lot of mentally tough athletes. But he spoke about his self-doubt, which is which was really raw and really beautiful. He's working on that as a weakness, which hopefully won't, won't be a weakness yeah. in the next couple of years. I believe marathon is his strength, but I, I'm big on his 10K and half marathon rhythm. So he mentioned both the, all those three events. I still believe to be, if we're going to say, where can you come in the top 200 in your eight or top 100? Yeah. I definitely think it's marathon. It, to do what he did in the marathon in those early days shows me that, I feel. Like he's got the complete package of a quite good running economy, mental toughness, quite a good engine as well, and obviously quite a good lactate threshold as well. So those four things to be a really good marathoner, that doesn't mean we're not going to try to smash some 10K and 5K times over the next three, three four years. I think, I think for me, it's, it's, it's almost gotten to a point where I need to start again. And yeah. just don't worry about what I've done previously. Because I think it's really hard with endurance athletes to... Um, if you've achieved in the past, you hold yourself accountable to those standards. So it's almost taking a step back and taking your ego away or aside from that and letting you almost like rebirth or regenesis into the next version of what you're trying to do. Because if you, if you hold yourself to that, it, it just makes can't. it very difficult. So two takeaway quotes from that before we get into the quick fires. Please don't hold yourself to too high an account because you cannot be defined by your performances all the time. Yeah. And the fact Absolutely. Pulsey says quote unquote start again which we've all had to do over the journey I feel like I've had to press the start again button a couple of times me, over the me last also, 24 me, months me also oh mate I haven't ran a PB in 9 years so me also <laughs> buddy but that kind of stuff for sure number one number two when Pulsey starts to talk about running to help him throughout the day and the anxiety look there's the amount of people that were walking here at 5am purely to set their day up and to be to have a better, less anxious day would be unbelievable. Mm, absolutely. Um, so just train, just move. And like you said, in the PM, in the night time, whatever works, it's whatever works for you. But please never miss a day of movement, even if it's a basic mobility Walk. day. Walking mobility is everything. Walk's your bare minimum, I it's feel. Absolutely. If you can move for 30 minutes a day, walking and mobility is fine if it's a regeneration day. But he's got a big story to tell about this. And I feel like I want to get him on specifically on this mental health thing. Like We've probably seen some of my blogs and stuff about this and radio stuff about mental and emotional health and the role exercise plays. Going a little bit into the neuroscience of it all. We're not going to go there today. But this fella in front of me has done so much and has got so much reason to be proud of himself, but yet still really struggles. So that's what I feel you listeners that are listening to this have got to take away is that you're not alone, number one. Number two, anything is achievable, which is one of his favourite quotes, anything is possible. It's the mantra from Iron Man. It's the mantra from Iron Man because it really is because we're talking about a young fella, 140-odd kilos, eating pizzas and drinking beers, and then only 12 to 18 months later, he's running marathons in ridiculously good time. So anything is possible, and Pulsey proved that to me as an onlooker all those years ago going I remember Pulsey was never a runner and now he's doing these times and that's why we just had to connect I go mate what you're doing is fantastic quick fire Pulse real quick fire it's hard I know this one's we do quick tell me some of your favourite quotes or what sport and training's taught you about yourself my man 
So, a couple of mantras that I've taken from sport and everything that I've kind of gone through. Rick's stolen one previously there is um, to steal the mantra from Iron Man, anything is possible. Another one for me has been um, hard work has a funny way of paying you back. So I think if you know you've got to grind, it will come back and repay you at some point. A big one for me is also um, a superior man is modest in his speech but exceeds in his actions. Um, to follow along with that one is that um, uh, there's a song that I used to have a bit of a, a take a mantra from was that um, it will come to me in a second. But um, the last one, which is something I've just adopted um, lately, is from um, the great Lionel Sanders Ironman athlete, is be patient, be wise, be ruthless. I think... That's going to be my one yeah. for my rebirth or my regenesis moving forward and um, making sure I do those three things well, I think will put me in good stead. I love that one. And that, that's actually going up on the wall here in HQ in the next week because I've got a wicked photo that Pulsey sent me of Lionel and I'm also a big fan of Lionel as an athlete. Um, he kind of he shared a, not a similar story, but he was. Oh, I love if his people story. don't know much about him, there's a podcast out there. Just type in Lionel Sanders, and it'll more than likely come up. He was um, he lived a pretty uh, party lifestyle, drugs, alcohol, all these kind of things, and then he decided that he needed to change his life. So similar to not not similar to my story, but there was a bit of a defining moment in what he was trying to do and. He was able to turn around his life and become one of the greatest endurance athletes in the world currently. And has been for a long time. And look, there's going to be, there's not always a fork in the road but that it's obvious, but there's, all, there's often a defining moment that even if you can't see it, number one. Number two, this, listen to this podcast, listen to Pulsey, could be your defining moment. You, you could be just, you might have been inactive for 15 years and now it's your defining moment. Listen to this right now. Lionel is one of the greats and we hope he wins the Lion Ironman. Yeah, this, this coming season. I think now going back to the quote I was trying to remember from uh, the oh, you song. You remember? Yes. Um, it's gone away from me again. Now. A superior man is <laughs> modest, modest in his speech, speech, but exceeds in his actions. If action speaks louder than if action speak louder than words, I'll be the most deafening noise you've heard. I think is some like, that, that, that's from a band called Touche Amore and a song called Tilled. So okay. I take a lot. I really like that. He uh, loves his music. I, I'm not across it as he's. I feel like that was. <laughs> I feel like that was your Twitter handle at one stage. Yeah, it was. I think it was for a little while. Yeah. How did you forget it if it was your bloody yeah, Twitter? I don't know. Yeah. If action speaks louder than words, I'm going to be the most deafening noise you heard. And it's really, resonated with me a lot. It's resonated for a fellow that wasn't um, obviously at the forefront of athletics and that kind of stuff in your early days. No, no, no one would have known you as a runner and, and an athlete, or no one knew you as like this elite athlete and now you run it you've run two more Ironmans it's always always funny when I used to rock up to these fun runs and the bigger fun runs where they kind of seed you based on your previous times and people always kind of give you the up and the down because I probably don't have the back when I was probably at my leanest I probably still don't have the body shape to be probably seen as a bit of a runner which is disappointing but yeah but it was always always interesting to rock up to these events and people thinking are you in the right like, are you in the right group <laughs> yeah, yeah. are you going to really are you supposed to be running 329 yeah. here which is disappointing that as a society we um, we yeah, judge always, it, always we judge fun. a book by its cover I'm trying to prove some people wrong like that. Which, it's which, good whatever works for you as long as you don't um, try to prove is that as long as that's not your only motivator yeah, yeah. Which I'm Absolutely. sure is it. athletes that have got you, given you something over the journey, motivation, inspiration. Oh. Some, I know you've got heaps because you are a sports. Sports tragic. tragic. Um, Give me half a dozen. Half a dozen off the top of my head. 
I would say, being a St Kilda man, three three guys that um, stick out to me are um, Nick Rewalt. Um, he's been a big part of he, he uh, being a St Kilda supporter. He's been <coughs> there as me as a St Kilda supporter. So he's it was very difficult to me to see him retire last year. Robert Harvey was another one that sticks in my mind about um, what he did. As, as a footballer and obviously to one I didn't have on my initial list but Lenny Hayes as well as three St Kilda guys that I really look, look into and well respected not only within St Kilda Football Club but outside in the whole AFL community as certainly well. externally and, and all three are absolute workhorses so they make they, the synergy there is, is and I, I like, is I, like the, I like athletes that probably are not naturally gifted as much as others but squeeze every last ounce or every last drop out of the body to be able to perform so guys St Kilda players that have happened like guys like Jason Blake who is, was just your average bits and parts footballer but was able to create a 200 game career playing so, a multitude positions because he was disciplined and did all these things right certainly extracted every last bit out did he Blakey yeah, I, I love I love I love athletes like that be able to do that um I have a strong um, connection to the new wave of Australian athletes. Um, I like the uh, I like uh, Craig Craig Mottram, who kind of was the start of all this, and a lot of great success that Australian middle distance runners are having currently. Um, guys like Luke Matthews, Genevieve Lacaze, who was a three thousand meter steeplechaser. Um, Moving into more of an Ironman realm, oh, more more athletics people. We've got Ryan Gregson, Benny St. Lawrence, um, all these guys that are doing wonderful things on the world stage. Um, I take a lot of inspiration and enthusiasm from um, Ironman athletes, obviously doing the sport for a little while. So um, guys like uh, Jean Frendendo, Frendendo, uh, Marinda Carfrey, Craig Alexander, all these people that have been able to achieve massive things in their in their chosen sport. And a couple other ones that spring to mind are um, Joe Ingles, Australian basketballer, gone on to forge a pretty strong career in the NBA. Um, Steve Monaghetti, Lauren Jackson. Being that sports tragic, I could go on forever. That could be a, an entirely different kind of podcast. Um, Andrew Gaze is also a big was a big uh, influencing factor on as as a kid growing up. Uh, I could spend the next three hours rattling off athletes Bruce McAvaney style to have a chat. He is, he is Bruce McAvaney, yes, this fellow <laughs> now. I've also been pretty lucky that one of my good mates from primary school has been able to transition into... He was a, a shot putter himself, able to represent Australia in, in the Olympics, Commonwealth Games. Um, went all the way to London 2012 and able to compete. He's now transitioned to become an athletics coach and coaches as a high-performance coach of New Zealand athletics for throwing. And he coaches uh, Tom Walsh, who's killing it in shot put, which Tom. is kind of an amazing story yeah. in terms of um, the history of shot put and where he's come from and what they've been able to achieve. Yeah, I'd love to yeah. get one of either Dale Stevenson yeah. on or Tom Walsh on this podcast. That story is amazing. And to see, kind of see and know a little bit about it firsthand is... It's pretty inspiring as well. It's, it's, really, what we it's really cool. And that, I, I know that um, oh, you, you mentioned Buster Mottram, who's another idol of mine. We've got a lot of similarities. But Buster, 
I guess is in the uh, the sexy event of the five thousand and probably shot put not as sexy, but no. <laughs> but so much work and and science goes into it as well. And Tommy's literally the Michael Jordan at the moment of, of ah, that yeah, sport. he's crushing it. He's number one gun in shot put as a twenty-four-year-old, which yeah. is which Dale has has a, played a massive part in. Yeah, Dale, absolutely. Dale's a beautiful person in itself and deserves all the success he gets, mate. You're moving forward, moving forward as far as your priorities, I guess, in life. So we've come from all this. This is my final wrap-up question for you. Mm. We've come from all this history of of being a really unhealthy, lovable guy to net, to then losing a truckload of weight and doing some pretty amazing things over a two-year period, three-year <coughs> period, all the while being a really... We haven't even spoke about your physical education um, career much, but we'll talk about that maybe later on down the track on a, on a further show because I believe as from a science perspective, you've got a lot to offer as well. Name just two or three, just keep it really simple. Your priorities now, you're much more rounded, you're much more self-aware. Yeah. Give me the next three or four years, but your priorities in life and where where you feel like, because I feel like the listeners can take away from themselves something about this as well. Yeah, so for me, moving forward, I think we've touched on it a little bit throughout the podcast, is that I just want to get back to, I want to get to a point where I'm able to... Uh, be comfortable within my own skin be happy with myself and that in turn will allow me to do other things in my life um hopefully if i would like to start a family soon with my lovely partner jess um i think i've got a the the rule is i've got to propose first so i might have to is that the rule that's the rule which uh, yeah i would i would have kids tomorrow but obviously i respect that but um yeah, so I might have to might have to get my finger moving in terms of uh, that. So just things like that, like being n- new to my 30s, I've just brought a house too. So just getting everything in order so that later in life I can um, be able to reap the um, benefits of the work I'm putting in now. Good on you, buddy. And look, he is, he's, to the external view, he's, he's got a really, he's got it all together. And we all would have thought that even 10 years ago. But like most of us, he, he's had his issues and he's had his demons, but he's battled them very well and very intelligently. What Pulsey just said then about trying to set himself up now, we've got lots of athletes that are in their late to early 40s that are figuring this out now, 50s sometimes, and that's mm. fine as well. <clears throat> it doesn't matter when you figure it out. You could be listening to this podcast in your 60s and you're starting to figure it out. That's fine. It's all about trying to set ourselves up from day one. This can be day one. Let's, yeah. let's just say this can be day one from our training age. So chronologically, we could be day one today and we want to be peaking in six years' time and make sure that we do stay the path, stay the journey. Pulsey's going renaissance number three, possibly. But we've all had them and our coaches, we have them as well because life and business takes over as well. So yeah. making sure that Pulsey's going to be running at his peak in his I just want to be. I just want to become a better... Keep continuing to try and become a better version of me. And, and, and that's a work in progress. That's never going to be attainable to be the best version because obviously you've got to keep, keep getting better at what you're trying to do, I feel. That's kind of a mentality that I have. But just making sure that I'm doing everything that is going to make, going to make a better version of me as, 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 uh, as uh, Lockie Wallace would say, as I transcend yesterday. So trying to improve every, a little bit every day moving forward. And a, um, a, a big idol of mine over the journey has been Pete McGill. He was a beautiful running coach from the States. And he just, 
he exactly that sentiment. Okay, how can we become better athletes today than we were yesterday? It might just be a sleep. It might just be being kind to yourself or anything of that nature. Or it might be a really hard lactate or VO2 workout. But I think that's a real fitting way to finish up today, Pulsey. Have you got anything more for the listeners? Just a little takeaway. It could be five or six words. could be anything. Just something they can take away. Because <coughs> it's been longer than the previous interviews, but because it was such a... A deep emotional type journey I wanted to go deep and I thought that uh, you guys could get a lot out of Pulsey it's certainly not about me it's about him I'll, I'll take you back to the Lionel Sanders quote I think yeah. for me that's a big one moving forward let's just reiterate the great man Lionel because it is going to be all over the runners walls in, in a week only a little tiny beautiful picture of Lionel running on a treadmill be patient be wise be, be ruthless. Pulsey, thanks so much, my brother. It won't be the last time you hear from Pulsey on Runners Radio. Next week, our founder, a founding member, the original member from Runners back at the beginning of 2007. She's a six-time marathoner, two-time ultra-marathoner, a mum of two, and another educator, this time of highly disabled students. She's a beautiful lady. Next week, we welcome Lisa Wilson onto the podcast. Thanks so much, Pulsey. Thank you very much, Rick. Jared Pulser, what an absolute legend. I tell you what, look, the Ironman's a tough event. I remember 1994, I was um, just a young fella, grade six. I loved all my sport. Used to love watching Greg Welsh. He won the 94 Ironman. Trevor Hendy. That's a totally different sport, Chuck. This is, oh. what, I, this is what I'm dealing with. Wasn't he an Ironman? That's a bloody surf life-saving. It's totally different to triathlon. You're on that bloody paddleboard. You can tell we don't write any notes for this. Trevor Hendy <laughs> isn't is the paddleboard part of that. No, just listen. So what happens, listeners? Just for your, he clearly hasn't even. Are listened. you sure Trevor Hendy wasn't involved? He hasn't even listened to Pulse's interview. So I hope he listens once it's live on iTunes. Mick, he doesn't even listen to the work I do behind the scenes, listeners. Trevor Hendy was on a bloody board doing his little paddle, paddle. I'm doing the paddle. He liked Nutri-Grain, I remember that Yeah, Nutri-Grain, the marketing thing. But look, they're great athletes as well. Trevor Hendy, guy, Leach. Iron Lincoln. Man food. It was it's Iron got, Man food. That's why I saw Iron Man. It's got and I zero. Saw, see, what great marketing. Iron Man food, Nutri-Grain, Trevor Hendy. You write Iron Man down, and I hear Iron Man when uh, Pulse is talking about that. And I just think, Trevor Hendy. Yeah, that was our generation growing up in the mid-90s, but no. Trevor Hendy should have asked for more money. Because it's, it's, it's been a slow burn, but it's it's ingrained itself into the population. It really has, just subliminally. But no, no, Ironman Triathlon, The if you listen to the actual interview that Pulsar gave, which was magnificent. Well, I'll have to listen again. 3.8k swim, 180k bike ride, and then the lazy marathon to finish. Is that like the Hawaiian version? Yeah, exactly exactly like that. But Pulsar, Who sponsors the Hawaiian version? Nutri-Grain? No, certainly Wheat not. No, I can't. There's someone, it's on next All week. All brand. I do love the, um, the Hawaiian Ironman. Anyway... Did, did um we used to love growing up as a lover of sport? You watch these blokes, and they are an amazing human beings. And I've got no doubt I was already into endurance sport back then, but it kind of feeds the the fire a bit. Just to say, just this is probably, especially back then, the most the pinnacle of endurance sport to be able to do these three events: three point eight, one eighty k, the marathon to finish it off in obviously the hottest and toughest climate in Hawaii. So to do what Pulse has done, to literally not being able to jog around the block, um, played a bit of footy, but certainly was 30 or 40 kilos overweight, 
to gradually and to, to get the weight down, weight down, weight down, start running. Oh, I'm not bad at this. All of a sudden, he's entering triathlons and he's done two Ironman triathlons. The man sitting across the desk from me, like I just feel like he's almost half asleep as we speak. Are you any chance to do a triathlon? Can you? You can swim. Yeah. You're a fisherman. I hope yeah, you can I swim. Can swim. How do you go on a bike? Imagine you sitting. I on can a bike. ride on a bike. What for five or six hours? Yeah, but it's usually it's a two-handed job because I've usually got a plastic bag with half a dozen stubbies in it that I'm taking to somebody's house in the basket. So you just got to be careful. There's an art to riding a bike when you got alcohol on you because you when you turn every time you turn or you go around a corner the bottles clink around and you can and that's potential for damage well, let alone frothy tops well, so you just got to go easy why well, wouldn't you just get some so cans. jared didn't have that problem pulse didn't have that problem he didn't have that well cans are, that's a good it's actually a good point yeah. you might have just clocked that uh situation there i, just I like get, it i just get you a slab blew my mind i just get a slab and get in the uber i reckon shark now so I like to exercise before indulging, hence the bike and half a dozen beers. I don't think riding your little girl's bike's going to do much for your calorie burning pre, but I do love the idea of getting a good session in the morning before you enjoy a few beers. Now, I hope everyone did love Pulse's interview. He is a beautiful man. and I reckon we might get him on again just to talk about different things when it comes to starting your weight loss journey because I know there's a lot of listeners out there that do contact me regularly about starting. I've done a couple of beginner videos just to commence jogging. Stop eating is number one. That's not easier said than done for some people, Mick. So or eat Subway. Not just Subway. Certainly. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Subway. That's what they said in the mid two thousands. But Subway now, should sponsor us for today's episode, given how much we've talked about it. I'm really not sure they'd want to sponsor us. Bloody hungry now. I actually don't mind Subway, uh, Mick. So I know you. Do you reckon the bread tastes a bit like? Chalk? No, I don't mind it, mate. But I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty simple man. I don't mind that kind of stuff. You, you, Mick Sharkey is a chef, listeners, so he does love, he does love the culinary desert, the delights. But I can cook up some bullshit, that's for sure. Now tell me about this joke you've got. Apparently, it's now, not running related. Well, we've talked a little bit about horses today, Rick. So I thought we'd better have a horse-related joke. So you ready for this? Yes, mate. So an Irishman. A Scotsman and a pom walk into a bar and they're all a bit glum. And they sit down at the bar and the barman comes over and he has one look at them he says, I know what's up here. Lady troubles. And they all nod their head. He says, okay. The Englishman says, I think my wife's having an affair with a plumber. Because the other night I came home and there was a PVC pipe and a plunger under the bed. Scotsman said, I think my wife's having an affair with an electrician. Because the other night I came home, there was an old light switch and some wires under the bed. He says, okay, yeah, okay. The Irishman looks at them and says, well, I think my wife's having an affair with a horse. Because last night, a jockey crawled out from under my bed. (laughs) That is very good. That's probably one of your better ones. It's probably your best one on episode four. So you've been good. There is a blue version of that joke, but I won't go there. No, uh, don't go there because we wouldn't mind keeping our rating. Shout out to uh, Bob the Cat for telling me that joke. Oh, good work, Bob. Oh, no, I've heard about Bob. Bob the Cat Bevan. Yeah, good on you, Bob. Now, that was, that, that, was, that was actually pretty good from you, Shark. I'll give you that one. Listeners, we've got a massive couple of weeks in endurance sport. Obviously, the Melbourne Marathon here and also the Hawaiian Ironman um, is ahead of us over the next seven days. So we, I'll definitely give you some... 
I'll give you a recap of those two events. Shark's got a really busy time. He's got Caulfield Guineas. Yes. Caulfield Guineas ahead of us, so it's big for him. And our runner's horse, Bubbles and Troubles, is running She'll run. in Sydney on Saturday, so we're very excited about that. The and Runner's Pony Club. And not many sleeps until Caulfield Cup Day, which will bring together two of the great moments in Australian sport. Well, two great moments that have happened on Australian sporting fields. One is Kings Will Dream, our very own, running in the Caulfield Cup. And the other is Rick Mirabella's Bucks Party. Happening at the same venue. That's right. Yeah, the Sharks organised and 22 of me best mates. So we're getting a little marquee with the Kings Will Dream Party, who are, who is the favourite, the current favourite for the race. Um, and it's, yeah, two of me, two of the things I was born to do, drink beers and have a bet. So I think I'll enjoy that very... <laughs> Very much. I can't wait for that. We might give you a recap of the of the Bucks as well. It'll be a very, very heavily edited recap, I would expect. Heavily edited. We do wax between being very serious and very... I don't just, wax. You might, but I don't. Oh, oh, well, no. Sorry, I don't know where you're I, going. Yeah. I do. I do wax every six weeks, Mick. But um, we do try to go between being very serious and obviously taking the piss a little bit. But we'll give you a recap of the Caulfield Cup, but that's a couple episodes away. We'll give you a little recap on Hawaii and Melbourne and a very, very, very special guest in our next episode. But until then, listeners, get on the run and take care.